This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. It is Tuesday, December 6th, and we are once again Dr. Mattless today. <sighs> He's not feeling well. So uh, just send out a few uh, prayers, positive thoughts his way, so that uh, hopefully we can have him back tomorrow. But uh, yes, we will We will soldier on without him, and we're still going to have a great show. We've got a lot of great stuff on the show today. For instance, uh, first and foremost, Sadie Nielsen is in the main studio with us this morning. Let me clarify why I'm here. <laughs> It is very warm in here, and it is very cold everywhere else in this building. (sighs) Very cold. You know, just for the record, we didn't need a reason to have you in here with us. It's just, it's warmer in here because of you. I did. Wait, let me do the sound effect. I walked in the room, and the first thing I said is, why are you in here? You have a perfectly good room over there. But yeah, it's pretty cold in there sometimes. You know, you could just admit that you get lonely sometimes. Um, yeah, I mean... When Terry just sits in there and just pretends like I'm not there, I, I feel pretty lonely sometimes. Is that so. what's going on in there? Yeah. Uh, usually oh. I go off on things and she's over there like, I don't care. But okay. And she just <laughs> politely listens to me and rant and rave and then she just goes about her business. No, I care. I care. No, There's just really. certain things that I have to I get the same look so. from my wife. So <laughs> I, I know the look. It's just like, oh, seriously. It's kind of glazed over. <laughs> Just kind of trying to make it to the end of the conversation. Okay. By the way, I didn't mean to uh, leave out Terry South, our wonderful producer, who is also here in the room. And it's I'm here when we're not here. Does that makes any sense. Yeah. He's that's here kinda, when everyone's scary. not here. He's here mm. year round, twenty four seven. Terry South, producer of the Matt Townsend Show. But doesn't your wife notice? Yeah, because I'm gone. She's mm. like, this is nice. I like this. <laughs> <laughs> or else he'd be talking to me. So today is also uh, Dodge Your Wife Day by staying at work. No, it's not. It's no. actually Microwave Day. And I'm just going to put something in the microwave here. Oh, wow. Oh, when did we get that in here? It's, uh, you it's know, an upgrade. I brought it in this morning. It's part of the reason why it's getting warmer in here. Oh, well, that makes a lot more sense. Just then. putting in some leftover cronuts. Mm. <laughs> Oh, thank goodness they're ready. I have some burritos for later. So is there any truth behind not getting too close to the microwave because of the waves? Apparently there used to be. There used to be. When they were new. They weren't quite sealed appropriately, I guess. So there was some residual uh, microwaves, I guess you'd say, that were getting out and... Okay. May or may not have caused some issues. Now, do either of you stand far away from the microwave, or are you more likely to just park yourselves right in front and you just wait in anticipation? Depends on what's in the microwave. If my mm. bean burrito's cooking in there, heck yeah, I'm standing right next to it. A bean burrito. <laughs> All right. You know, I never thought Mexican food was uh, was good to put in the microwave. but mm. uh, there, yeah. No, no, no. Listen to me. There are these burritos at Costco. They mm-hmm. are... A hundred percent delicious, a hundred percent organic. We that, get Terry. That's, that's questionable. That's questionable. <laughs> and they're the best burritos I've ever had in the microwave. So hundred percent delicious. That's going to be a hard fact to prove. That's really, probably why you don't see it on the bag. They capture that why. microwave food taste. Yeah. Whatever that may be. Wow. 
Now I'm hungry for bean burritos. But, but I never thought I would When I was be. a kid, the microwave broke, and I didn't know what to eat. Because, hmm. you know, I'd kind of fend for myself, that get was, breakfast, and go to That was the a, extent of your, your yeah. skills. I'd wake up, put whatever I needed in the microwave, and move on. I'm like, oh, i got to cook something? I don't want to do that. Looks now like I'm not eating. <laughs> and I kind of moved away from, like, cereals, so breakfast was, like, almost impossible for me. Yeah. That's like losing the remote. Yeah. I guess I'm not watching TV. I'm not going to stand up. Absolutely. I guess I could read a book or something. Anyway. So, yeah, we'll be talking more about Microwave Day. And uh, also coming up on the program here in just about uh, 12 minutes or so, we're going, to be, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Stephen Manning, who's going to be talking with us about wicked problems in the world. Probably means something different than what it sounds like. Hmm. So we'll find out more about that. But uh, first, we want to head on over to Sadie Nielsen, who luckily this morning is just sitting right across from me. And she is going to give us the headlines of what's going on around the country. Sadie, what's going on? Vice President Joe Biden told a small group of reporters on Monday night that he planned on running for president in 2020. Yeah, I am. I'm going to run in 2020. Press further on the remarks Biden said for president. And also, what the heck, man, anyway. Reporters at the scene asked him if he was kidding, and Biden responded, I'm not committing to run. I'm committed to I'm not committed to anything. I learned a long time ago fate has a strange way of intervening. He would said he would be turning 78 in 2020. After a South Carolina judge declared a minstrel in a former mistrial and a former police officer, Michael Slager's murder, tr- murder trial, the lead prosecutor vowed to continue the fight. Slager, who was seen on camera shooting and killing Walter Scott last year, walked free on Monday after the jury announced it could not come to a unanimous decision to convict him on either murder or manslaughter charges. The lone holdout among the jurors told the court as early as Friday that I cannot and will not change my mind. Charleston County Solicitor Scarlett Wilson released a statement expressing disappointment in the outcome, and she vowed, we will try Michael Slager again. Top Republicans in the U.S. House on Monday pushed back against President-elect Donald Trump's vow to impose a 35% tariff as retribution against companies who move overseas. According to the New York Times, House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy was not thrilled at the suggestion. I don't want to get into some kind of trade war, he said. House Speaker Paul Ryan took a more diplomatic approach, telling a Wisconsin reporter, I think we can get at the goal here, which is to keep American businesses American, build things in America, and sell them overseas. That can properly be be addressed in comprehensive tax reform. And finally, yes. a little Nemo story for you here. Um, a teen got the shock of her life when she was cleaning out her fish bowl and it seemed to die, only to be revived as she flushed it down the toilet. <gasps> so this girl named Brooke was cleaning out her goldfish Dane's bowl because uh, his water looked a little dirty. Um, she put him back in the fresh bowl, and then he was swimming, and then he stopped dead, and he stopped moving. And so she decided she was going to flush him down the toilet because he was dead. Um, but then he started to swim again as he was moving in the toilet bowl right as she flushed the toilet. Yes. And so it has been compared to Nemo, and it has received almost 9,000 retweets and 7,000 likes on Twitter. <laughs> This so video. <laughs> promise us that you are going to keep us updated on this when somebody finds this Nemo. Yes, I will keep you updated. It might be um, a couple years from now, but uh, yeah. 
I'll keep you up. Man, maybe he's going to end up being the size of Goldie, the the goldfish <laughs> the size of a football. You we'll know, have to play that. Maybe him and Goldie will be friends again. Who knows? Goldie might eat him. Yeah, well, he's just like a, a tidbit snack. I don't See, know if he'd really want to eat him. These are the types of stories that Terry loves. They're fun. They're odd. I mean, you have a goldfish. Just look it up. Type in, in Google, gold goldfish the size of a football. There's a guy holding this goldfish. It looks like a football. Wow. It is huge. Because mm. you let it loose in a pond and it just eats everything. Disgusting. Yeah. No, actually, I think why this is getting so many retweets is the reaction of the girl. Because they're like laughing and then they throw it in the bowl and all of a sudden they start like, <gasps> like, oh no, he was swimming. He was alive. <laughs> now, has Mr. Trump retweeted this yet? No, not yet. Oh, so darn. it's not that popular. So you also mentioned another story about Joe Biden leaving the door open to run for president yeah. in 2020. Yeah. What do you guys think about that? Why didn't he do it this last time? <laughs> he backed off oh, for Hillary. He probably could have won. He could have won. Play the soundbite. Clip five. Wait, this is Joe Biden talking to the media where this all happened. This is a run in 2020. Um, so, uh, for what? But for president? You know, so, uh, what the hell, man? You know? Anyway. We're going to run with that, sir, you know. Uh, that's, that's okay. That's <laughs> okay. Just to be clear, are you kidding about running for president in 2020? I'm just, I'm, I'm not committing not to run. <laughs> I'm not committing to anything. I learned a long time ago. Fate has trained away in the You know, that's really interesting because isn't that kind of the stance that uh, Donald Trump had when he ran? Ah, eh, whatever. Yeah. He said Why he's, not? he's not committing not to run. Let me do the math on that or mm-hmm. try to wrap my head around that. Yep. Not committing not to run. Okay. I'm still just confused. Right. So in other words, the door's open. He can do. He can run or not run. Wow. But I He'll... don't know. I don't know why he said that. I don't think anyone asked him a question if he was going to run in 2020. But he just sort of brought it up. Would he be in his 80s by then? He'll be 78. Oh my goodness. Which is the same age as Donald Trump and right around uh, Hillary Clinton at this time. Wow. They're both right there, 78, 79, 80. You know, speaking of former vice presidents, isn't Al Gore in the news too? Al Gore met with. Uh, President-elect Trump, apparently they talked about climate change. He was supposed to go in and speak with Ivanka, and only Ivanka, because apparently, as, as I heard it reported, she's going to make that her issue while her father's in the presidency. So it, it, what it looks like is Melania is going to maybe kind of stay out of the picture. Ivanka is going to have the role of first lady. And kind of have her causes and kind of lead that way, whereas I don't think Melania wants to be involved, it looks like, as much. Well, because she's going to be running the, the business, right? No, Melania is going to just be in the penthouse with with Baron hmm. hanging out. And Ivanka was supposed to be running the business with the, the other two brothers, right? With Donald and... Uh, What's his name? Eric? There we go. Those yeah. are the other two. I was like, what's his name? I was going to make it. I was like, Joseph at. Um, so the, the three kids were going to run the business, but apparently Ivanka is going to be in charge of certain initiatives of her own, kind of like first lady type initiatives, but it'll be first daughter. It's just kind of a, a different setup in the White House. So Ivanka was going to lead off on climate change, but as, as they were meeting President Trump or President-elect Trump walks in, and here's Al Gore afterwards talking about the meeting. The bulk of the time was with uh, President-elect Donald Trump, 
Uh, I, I found it an, an extremely interesting conversation uh, and uh, to be continued. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Thank you. Now, so we said nothing. Climate change, that's kind of a difficult one to come out of the gate with. Right. As a brand new first lady. Maybe she should keep going with that anti-bullying movement that she was... That's Melania. Oh, that's Melania. I'm yeah, sorry. so Melania's got a first lady. Now we have a first daughter initiative also. <sighs> There's a lot of initiatives happening. Those are tough issues. Yeah. They need a softball but to start it, out it with. But then it comes back to can Ivanka run the company and be involved in the presidency and then right. the administration. There's rules and things. I don't know. Hmm. We'll have to see how they suss that hmm. out if you want to look at it that way. Also, yesterday, uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio of New York had some things to say about uh, trying to secure Trump Tower on Fifth Avenue in New York. We will be asking for up to $35 million in reimbursement for the period November 8th to January 20th. Okay, so November 8th to the 20th, they're securing the president-elect in his tower in New York. They want <laughs> The city of New York wants $35 million reimbursement for all that they've had to do with just the New York City police to be there. Wow. And if that continues where he's in... Trump Tower, the police will have a presence there. So there's, there's that money. There's the Secret Service plans of taking over possibly two floors of Trump Tower to house all the security apparatus in the building to protect him. Well, and you've got, you've got catering. Um, well, they're, they're looking at more security and they have dump trucks full of sand out front <laughs> and all kinds of different things to just secure a public building that's open to anyone who wants to walk in. Sheesh. <laughs> So, that, is quite the, that is quite the price tag. So the city of New York, I don't know if it's less expensive in the, the case like what President Obama's doing. He's in the White House or they go to Chicago where they have a house. But, I mean, when they go, hey, we want to go to Hawaii, that's expensive just security-wise. Wow. So, I mean, he pays for, you know, family vacation is paid for by the family, but the security around it. And everything else that's involved is, you know, secret service. So that's tax dollars. Wow. Anything else that's that's going on that we want to get to here? Let's see. Um, oh, Mike Pence. He gives a transition update live from a street somewhere. Clip two. I think the American people are, are, are rightfully encouraged and impressed uh, at the speed and decisiveness that our president-elect is bringing to assembling a government that's going to make America great again. There you go. So we're on, we're on track for something. I know we talked about this earlier, but yeah. poor Mike Pence. <laughs> He's going to have a lot on his plate. He ends up in, like yesterday we talked about, uh, we had a clip, uh, who was it? It was NBC News asking him, why isn't the Indiana job deal, why isn't that crony capitalism? You're, you're paying off people to keep things. And, and he didn't answer the question. Because mm. I don't know if you can separate the two. I don't know if there's – it's a matter of perspective, I think. And I think he wants to keep it positive and he wants to look at what the benefit is. We did this. And, they're like, what? and then people ask him about the, the maybe a negative side or the, and he just tries to keep it positive. And after a while, at keeping it positive, you're ignoring questions. And so it gets kind of difficult sometimes for people. But, yeah, he's the, he's the guy that tries to – Put a positive spin on everything. That's kind of what he's supposed to do. He's the cheerleader for the campaign and also kind of an attack dog at times, if if needs be. I would venture to say that he's probably got a little more on his plate than probably a lot of the past vice presidents. Right. He'll have a, he'll have a different role than, say, a Joe Biden did. Wow. 
Oh, my goodness. So, Mr. Trump, President-elect Donald Trump, still has a ways to go to to fill out his cabinet. Uh, I We thought it would be fun to play uh, an interview that, uh, that we had uh, played a couple weeks back for uh, Mr. Trump's choice for the Department of the Interior Decorator. And uh, we'll play that. And when we come back... We will be speaking with Dr. Stephen Manning, who will be talking to us about wicked problems and what that means and how we can solve that problem. When we come back, this is The Matt Townsend Show. Thank you for visiting with me today. I'd like to give you all a brief tour of the first and possibly the most important room in the White House. Now, despite what Donnie, that's what I called Mr. Trump, Donnie, we're close, darling. Whatever Donnie may have said during the election, he's really quite a humble man. And contrary to popular belief, and I am sorry to disappoint you, there will not be any gold thrones in the Oval Office. No, 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 no. These will be in the bathroom instead. And, of course, I'm talking about the toilets. You see, Donnie is sending a message that he is the same as everyone else. He's a very humble man, and so humility is going to be the theme of these bathrooms from the bathroom's usage policy. Anyone who visits the White House can use these gold toilets to the functionality of the toilets themselves. Now, what you see here is a Giovanni Gabinetti toilet, or Netti, as we in the business like to call them. Now, listen to the flush of this Netti. That, of course, is from the theme song to Donnie's show, The Apprentice. Now, with this flush tone, Donnie wants to make sure that he never forgets his humble beginnings as a reality show host. Overall, we're keeping things in these bathrooms simple. Instead of five steps ascending up to the gold toilets, we're only putting in three. Instead of three-ply TP, we're only doing two-ply. And we've downsized the restroom attendant staff to just one attendant, and his name is Baron. We'll be sharing some of the other plans for the White House as I design them. Thank you all for visiting with me in my humble Malibu bungalow. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt, who is away sick today. So if you could please just keep him in your thoughts and prayers, any positive energy you could send his way, I'm sure he would greatly appreciate that so that he can be back with us here tomorrow. Well, we have got a fantastic guest here this morning uh, speaking on a very, very interesting topic. Uh, As economies and problems become more globalized, the answers and solutions to these changes become more complicated and unclear. In policy research, these problems are termed wicked. Problems such as droughts, terrorism, and the refugee crisis demand our immediate attention, but there is no central authority to organize relief efforts. Here to offer us a different way to solve the world's wicked problems is Stephen Manning, an associate professor of management at the University of Massachusetts, Boston. We're grateful to have him here on the program. Uh, Dr. Manning, welcome to the program. 
Oh, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, so if you could just, uh, could you tell us a little bit more about your professional background and, and how you got interested in development issues? Sure. Um, so I got my uh, high school and college degree in uh, Germany and the U.K., and uh, including also my, my Ph.D., and uh, I moved to the U.S. Uh, ten years ago and worked at Duke University, and currently I'm an associate professor, as you mentioned, at uh, uh, University of Massachusetts in Boston. And um, I've always been, always been interested in development issues. Uh, you know, I've been traveling a lot, you know, uh, seen many different countries, and I'm always intrigued by the difficulty of solving issues like, you know, poverty and inequality, and uh, this, this, you know, uh, got me thinking about uh, things like how to, you know, how to make the world more sustainable, how to develop complex solutions for these problems. And um, based on some of my research, especially on uh, um, the, the coffee industry and coffee farming, I developed this, you know, this approach that you mentioned on how to tackle those, those wicked problems. And I'm, I'm happy to talk, talk more about this. Great. Thank you so much. So go ahead and tell us more about what is uh, research policy. Research policy. Um, so as, as a field, <clears throat> so first of all, I mean, there's, um, um, I mean, one, one so this is, these wicked problems, one of the, uh, you know, uh, um, complexities associated with it is that these problems uh, cannot be, you know, um, understood fully by any in any uh, um, uh, from any particular perspective. So, there are economic issues, political issues, social issues, and um, I think so. What I'm interested in is, you know, um, thinking about solutions that are agreeable, that um, you know, are tangible, that people understand, and that over time, bit by bit, uh, brick by brick can develop into more comprehensive solutions for problems. And maybe research policy is, is one way to, to, to label, those, label this domain, uh, domain. But I would call myself, I'm a management professor, so I come from a management background. I'm interested in coordination of solutions for those problems. So now you mentioned some of these bigger problems that, are, that we have around the world. So why, yeah. why do the current problem-solving processes not work for these world-scale problems? Uh, well, um, there's this idea that, um, you know, you can only tackle large-scale problems through large-scale um, solutions, right? So there's the idea of matching, right? You need a big solution for a big problem. And, but the thing is, as you mentioned earlier, that, you know, those problems that we're talking about here, like inequality or the refugee crisis in Europe, climate change, poverty, and all that, these are very complex problems. They're very difficult to understand in detail, and also... There are many different people and interests involved here and many conflicts involved here. So it's very difficult to come to an agreement, come to a consensus. And so what I'm proposing is instead of thinking of like a, a, a grand solution for these problems, think about more tangible, feasible, agreeable uh, building blocks that can help build a solution step by step. And, uh, you know, these, each, each one of these modules might not seem as important, as relevant, but uh, when you connect those different modules, then you, you will see the big picture and how they can actually make a difference combined. So is there a difference between some of these modules that, that we'll get into here in a second and smaller victories? Should we just, should we just settle for small victories? Sure. I mean, there's this approach that uh, uh, is typically called small wins, the small wins approach, which um, focuses on the idea that, you know, 
every solution that contributes in some way to you know solving a large scale problem is already a win is already something to celebrate you know think of like for example uh, um how to tackle uh, energy issues or climate change issues or energy issues you know and firms that agree to for example cut energy costs you know uh, become more energy efficient uh, this already makes a contribution this is great you know but uh, the issue is that uh, um, so the larger question is how can these small wins connect and become part of a bigger solution over time? So my question is, you know, how, how can we build on that approach further by thinking about connections between those small wins, between those modular solutions that, you know, uh, can, can get us closer to a more comprehensive um, solution? Yeah, yeah. So obviously, you know, if we want to take it from this approach of these smaller wins, we're going to need a lot of patience, it sounds like. Exactly. <laughs> no, that's, 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 very, that's very true. And then also small wins sometimes go nowhere. I mean, they can make a difference uh, at a, a small scale, you know, like energy efficiency, but, you know, they're uh, very far away from, you know, solving the entire thing. And I'm not claiming that I have the the solution, but I'm claiming that, you know, based on my research, I can see how you can develop what I could call a modular architecture, you know, a more systemic approach to uh, solving those bigger problems. And, and I can give an example if, if that's maybe easier. Uh, uh, for example, in coffee, uh, when it comes to, you know, uh, um, promoting sustainability in coffee farming, which is it's a huge undertaking. It's about, you know, making coffee farming environmentally sustainable, protect the environment, but also improve uh, workers' uh, living uh, conditions or farmers' living conditions and give them an income at the same time. So it's a very comprehensive undertaking how to approach this. And those certifications such as Rainforest Alliance, Fair Trade, and all those, they have developed a modular architecture, a modular approach to these certifications. And, and, and the way this works is they would define specific, very tangible goals, such as you know, eliminating banned pesticides, for example, you know, and improving workers' health, so, and, and also increasing productivity. All these are building blocks, but they're interconnected, and that's the interesting part. By eliminating pesticides, for example, you can improve workers' health and safety, by improving workers' health and safety, they, workers become farmers become more motivated to maybe learn new farming techniques, to engage in you know uh, uh, new new ways, new practices, new farming practices, and this may increase productivity and yield, and this may give them better income. So these things are interconnected. And uh, you probably have better worker morale too, because people are healthier and feel good when they exactly. show up to work. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So. Um, Tell us, how did you come up with this approach? Um, well, it's, uh, you know, part of the uh, research experience or research process that, you know, as you are going to the field, as you collect data, as you talk to uh, people like, for example, coffee farmers and uh, members of these, these uh, certification institutions or standard organizations, you know, you... Uh, my, my task is to make sense of what's happening. My, my, my role is to better understand how these things work. My, you know, I, I want to understand how come that in the last few years uh, the coffee industry you know, has managed to really become more sustainable at the global level. More than 40% of coffee produced worldwide is produced sustainably, which is a huge, it's a huge number. 
And so I wanted to understand uh, how this works. And then over time, I, I realized that these different standards and certifications, they build on each other. They have, they have like some baseline standards, more advanced standards, some, you know, some, some baseline uh, modules and more advanced. And, and my, my task or my role in this was to kind of make sense of this and put this into words, make this understandable to readers. And that's how I came up with this approach. So that's interesting. You mentioned 40%. Yeah. You know, going forward, how long would you say it's going to take for that other 60% to be on board with this and make those changes that uh, are going to impact our health and impact the environment? Um, well, this is a matter of, I mean, this is already, you know, 40% is above the, the, the critical threshold, I would say. You know, now, so what's, what's important now is, just uh, so the um, effect of imitation or peer imitation that, you know, it, it becomes almost like a necessity for uh, suppliers, for coffee farmers around the world to meet some of these standards, basic standards in order to sell coffee. And then also consumers uh, in the uh, developed world, mostly in advanced economies, are much more used to, um, you know, having like happy, happy coffee farmers, you know, posters on the wall and knowing that, uh, coffee is produced sustainably. So this is like a, a self-reinforcing effect uh, that, will, that will help, uh, you know, uh, um, so mainstream sustainability in this, in this sector. But of course, you know, there are, there are always obstacles. There are new countries, new players in the field that, that might not adopt those standards right away. But I think there's a critical threshold that's already been met. So this is just a matter of a few years, two years' time to, to you know, get the entire industry uh, certified. And, and if you think of more like, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, premium coffee brands such as uh, Starbucks and so forth, they are already 100% certified. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, just like you said, it, it sounds like it's going to take time. It's going to take education. And yeah. it's it's going to – it sounds like we're going to need to get other coffee makers and coffee, you know, coffee bean farmers on board with with not cutting corners and seeing the the benefits and effects of of uh, choosing the healthier more sustainable route yes and and maybe i should add that you know uh in order to um you know uh spread those solutions in order to to make farmers adopt these uh, solutions it's not it's not you know uh on the farmer's shoulders only uh so the way this works is you want to get those critical players in the industry on board, such as uh, those global coffee roasters like uh, Nestle, Kraft Foods, and so forth. So these big players, they need to be on board. If, as soon as they are on board, they can kind of they can uh, put pressure on uh, farmers, on, on exporters, and, and so forth to adopt those standards. And that's that's the, the important power game here. So you need to have those critical players on board, and they can then uh, play a, an important role as intermediaries in the process. That's so key. Yeah, just not don't pick on the poor farmers only. You know, we've got yeah. uh, the bigger players and those that the bigger decision makers that can help with this too. Uh, exactly. Doctor Manning, we're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we'll we'll continue the discussion, and uh, I'm excited to talk to you a little bit more about uh, some experiences I had on a farm. And uh, also what we can do on a more local level to help uh, with, with these wicked problems. When we come back, this is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live healthier, happier, and more sustainable lives. We'll be right back.
and thou shalt be saved. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, you know, we are talking about wicked problems, but, uh, you know, repentance, that's that's a different kind of wicked, and we're not going to tackle that subject here this morning on the Matt Townsend Show. But we are pleased to welcome back to the program Dr. Stephen Manning, who has been talking to us about wicked problems and uh, how we can tackle those, not necessarily on a large scale, but how uh, doing that on a smaller scale might be more more reasonable, more easily managed. So, Dr. Manning, thank you for being on the program, and welcome back. Well, thank you. So, before we went to break, you were talking about uh, uh, coffee bean farmers, and uh, I wanted to mention to you that I worked for a company for a couple of years. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, Mary's Chickens. They're out of uh, Sanger, California, and they pride themselves on, on being sustainable, on having their chickens be vegetarian fed and they have non-GMO feed and organic feed. And they went over to Europe and they got a lot of their ideas there and they also air chill their chickens. So they're very environmental friendly and, and healthy and and they try to be sustainable. Um, I was wondering if we could talk a little bit more about uh, the uh, sustainable coffee example that, that you mentioned earlier on the program. What is it that you think we should learn? What's the big takeaway from this uh, the study that you did with uh, sustainable coffee? Sure. Um, so, so first of all, you know, uh, when it comes to my own research, um, it's, uh, it's important to know uh, coffee, the coffee industry is, is uh, considered one of the pioneers in terms of uh, developing solutions, developing sustainable solutions for uh, the environment, for farmers, and so forth. So uh, it's, it's important if you think of other crops, uh, uh, like uh, palm oil, for example, or tea or bananas, or you know, uh, all these different uh, um, uh, food uh, uh, items. You, know, can, you can learn from coffee in terms of how to make their production more sustainable, so within the uh, domain of farming. But also beyond that, you can think of, um, you know, basically any complex problem that you want to tackle in terms of how can, break, how can you break it down into smaller problems, smaller goals, more, uh, and, and related to that, more, more tangible solutions that can, uh, you can build up over time or you can connect over time. And, and this is what, what I've, I've been trying to do. Uh, in my article uh, that you that you read as well, uh, where I talk about, for example, the refugee crisis in Europe, and I talk about climate change in general, but I can also talk about issues like, for example, how to bring jobs back to the U.S., which is a huge issue uh, right now. Uh, or if you think about your own career, even if you think about yourself, how to manage difficult relationships or depression, or how to uh, how to build a qualification for a successful career. All these are complex problems that I think. You know, can can benefit from this modular approach. So, now you mentioned um, using that modular approach to to solve some of these other wicked problems. Can yeah. this can this approach be used for all of those wicked problems that you mentioned? Um, certainly, this uh, would be an exaggeration. I mean, w- wicked problems are called wicked for a reason, <laughs> which is you know they're just very difficult to to tackle and resolve entirely. So I'm not claiming that my modular approach can eradicate uh, those problems entirely, but uh, it's actually the opposite. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to 
suggest that a modular approach can do quite a bit, can, you know, can bring us much further in terms of developing solutions that, you know, contribute uh, uh, to, to solving those problems. But most of these, like, you know, inequality, poverty, climate change and all that, uh, they, will always, they will always remain problematic. There will always be an element that cannot be resolved. But I think a modular approach can uh, get us much further than, uh, you know, previous approaches. Sure, sure. So how is it that Congress can use this method to solve these problems faster? And, and maybe do you have an example or two of, of them doing that and, and seeing progress or change? Wow, that's a, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, and I think this, you know, this, this really depends on uh, the uh, particular issue. And if you, you know, I mean, maybe we can, we can uh, think of particular examples, but, but, but oftentimes, uh, you know, um, so one, one example that I've been studying a little bit is, you know, how, uh, and, and Congress might, might, might not be involved as much, but it's more about local communities, how they um, respond to rising sea levels. You know, think about coastal communities, Florida, and also Boston, where I live, I mean, this is a huge issue that people discuss, how to respond to the fact that uh, sea levels are rising, uh, you know, to become more resilient as a community. And this is a huge undertaking. And, uh, but luckily, uh, some communities in Florida, for example, have already uh, undertaken measures to, you know, de- develop very specific, small-scale, tangible solutions like, you know, uh, uh, um, building water pumps, for example, that can, you know, uh, um, uh, contribute uh, a little bit, you know, to, to solving this issue. And there's also a, a new movie that just came out, came out uh, with uh, um, 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 Leonardo DiCaprio talking about some of these issues. So this is, this is an example where I have a huge problem that you cannot tackle as such, but you can develop modular solutions for that. Do you do you happen to remember the name of that Leonardo DiCaprio movie? It seems like I have it on my DVR, and my wife keeps begging me yeah, to watch it. it. Uh, I think it's called Before the Flood. That's right. Flood. Yes. Yeah. Before yeah. the <laughs> Flood. I, okay. I'm going to check that out. You have my word. I'll go home, yeah. and, and my wife will be happy that we'll watch that finally. Sure. Um, okay. So you know, it sounds like this is this is an approach that has been unifying communities and 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 solving things on a, a more community based level. Um, so Dr. Manning, me personally, you know, I, I feel, and I'm sure pretty much everybody feels this way, but, you know, I feel like I've got a lot on my plate. We just moved and I have these projects that just keep stacking up higher and higher. What are some things that, that I and and everybody really can, how can we apply this process in our day-to-day lives to, to help us with these problems that we have every day? That's a very good question. And of course, you know, this uh, would be maybe the uh, let's say the, the core of, a, of another book that might come out uh, sometime, but it's uh, it's really I'm I'm thinking you know, one example I could give is how to think of you know building a qualification for a successful career. This is like a very something that most most people are concerned concerned with in terms of you know and instead of thinking of this as one big problem that to tackle, one can think of certain modules, certain building blocks of a of a qualification such as you know knowing different languages having many contacts, having some experience, having different degrees. So each of these are uh, building blocks towards, you know, uh, building this kind of success. And one, one, one thing I want to emphasize always is that these building blocks are often connected, right? So if you have, for example, if you can speak multiple languages, 
this enables you to make more contacts with more people. And these contacts will, you know, um, uh, help you make more experience you know, in different fields, and these experiences will help you build a reputation. Right? So this is one, one example for career building. But you can think of, for example, any complex task that you're facing, like, you know, writing a paper for school or writing a report. I mean, all these uh, can be broken down into smaller scale problems that you can tackle and that you can combine into the, the final solution. That's exactly what I need to do. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Dr. Manning, I'm just curious, you know, I, I want to get a little personal here, and I just want to see if there's an example in your own life where you've used this, this modular approach that you've come up with for, for, uh, for problem solving in your own life. Uh, that's an interesting question, and uh, let, me, let me see. I mean, you know, uh, certainly uh, I had, you know, you know, in the past, I mean, not often because I'm a pretty optimistic person, but, uh, you know, there were times when I was a little depressed and not, you know, having, uh, having trouble getting out of this state of mind. And, uh, you know, it, it, might, it might sound silly, but, you know, I <laughs> developed some, some, some small solutions that contributed big time. So, for example, you know, uh, getting more exposure to fresh air and uh, doing more fitness, which might seem like, you know, the direct way of solving this depression, but, you know, it, it elevated my mood and, and it helped me get out of this faster. So this is maybe an, an one example of a modular approach in, in my own life. I don't think that's silly at all. In fact, we we frequently interview people on the program that talk about that very thing and the benefits of, you know, just simply getting outside or exercising and how that can have a huge impact on your health. So I think that's a, a wonderful example. Um, so, Dr. Manning, just uh, as we wrap things up here with this interview, what would you say is the one thing, the one big takeaway for all of us and also for government that, that uh, could help us today to, to start heading in the right direction toward change? Okay. Uh, so first of all, uh, the one, one thing I should say is, you know, is develop a new mindset. It's important to develop a new mindset as to how we can approach those large-scale problems and issues. So instead of thinking of uh, wanting to find the big one, the, the, the grand solution, uh, which has been the mindset for some time, you know, the mindset should be, you know, think smaller, think more tangible, think more feasible, think more agreeable, start with uh, smaller scale goals, and then uh, build up those small scale solutions over time. And don't worry about, don't worry about not getting to the final solution right away. But as you build up these small scale solutions, they can be a foundation for a, uh, a larger solution over time. So, it's, so my, my message would be to be more optimistic about, you know, developing those solutions through a smaller scale, step-by-step approach. Dr. Manning, thank you so much for being on the program this morning. Uh, so just, folks, be more optimistic and uh, try out this approach that Dr. Manning has been talking to us about. And it can solve problems. Stephen Manning is an associate professor of management at the University of Massachusetts, Boston. His research has taken him to various countries, including China, Germany, Guatemala, Kenya, Romania, and South America, South, South Africa, rather. He is the co-founder of Organization and Social Change Research Group, an organization that specializes in research around issues at the intersection of business and society. 
as in the lead is the lead editor and author of their blog. And we are so grateful to have had him here on the program. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we will be uh, sharing some more news around the country with you. And uh, we're going to have some more fun, too. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt, who is away sick. Hopefully, our program will lift his spirits and, and improve his health. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Program. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt while he's away. Joined here by Terry South, our wonderful producer, and Sadie Nielsen, my personal savior right about now. You're welcome. We won't uh, talk about why that is, but uh, suffice it to say... I'm grateful for you, Sadie. Thank hey, you. The complete, the complete list of Grammy nominations is out this morning. Gr- Grammy nominations? The Grammy nominations. Mm. And I made the mistake of printing it. It's 15 pages. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, wow. I go out to the printer. I'm like, what's printing? Oh, wow. I thought it was just like a page. But <laughs> to, uh, to keep it short, because, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, if you're a fan of Beyonce, <gasps> nine, nom- nine nominations. Wow. She's nominated for Album of the Year, Record of the Year, Song of the Year, probably a bunch of other of the years. So. Of course she is. She's Queen B, so of course she's going to have at least nine nominations. Wow. Like, I'd get into it, but I don't know half the songs. So. I think there's an award, too, for the most at nominations, too. Yeah. 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 So she'd get the nomination for nominations. Any Either of you going to be watching the Grammys this year? No. 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 You can follow on Twitter, like I do. And not pay attention to a lot of things. Hmm. Like, you don't actually turn the show on because you have to wait through all these people, like, thanking their manager and stuff. It's like, who cares? But uh, on Twitter, like, people will put out little clips of the best moments. So you can just scroll through Twitter and get the gist of everything that's going yeah. on. Or the next morning, you just read whatever story's printed, if you care that much, and you can see what happened. Instead <laughs> of waiting, it's like three and a half hours. You know, I feel like I have this conversation with myself <clears throat> Excuse me. Every you talk year, to yeah. yeah. Okay. Every year after I watch the Oscars, it's like oh, that was a complete waste of time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. So I'm going to learn my lesson this year, and I'll follow it on Twitter, or I'll just just check look it up out some YouTube videos. Yeah, the next day, all the acts, all the you know the the music and all that's on YouTube. They put it up there pretty quick, so you can see all that. So speaking of a lot of useless videos, yeah. you want to talk to us about Netflix, right? So last week, Netflix. Uh, put out a press release talking about they're they're going to update their app for iOS and Android to allow you to download some movies onto your device. So you don't have to be connected to the internet to actually watch your show. This is huge. Yeah. For, especially for for people like me with young kids where you're, you know, you're out and you don't want to waste all that data so you can turn right. on a downloaded Netflix movie. That's awesome. So you download the movie before you leave the Wi-Fi connection and then you can just have it whenever you need it without having to chew up your as you said but your data cap. Does it kill your battery? Oh, of course, cuz you're running video. <laughs> video is the most horrible thing you can for your battery. Right. Uh, but the thing is there's only certain shows that are available. Okay. A lot of them probably are going to be Netflix originals. So mm-hmm. if you like any of the shows they've put out, that you don't? Stranger Things? <laughs> wow. Okay, you're right. I haven't watched that Fuller, one yet. Fuller House? Mm. Mm. Season 2 is Arrested out this weekend. Arrested Development? Mm. 
Oh, wow. So a bunch of NBC shows apparently are there. Parks and Rec, Office of 30 Rock, they're available, as well as movies including uh, Boyhood, Dazed and Confused, Minions, and others. I mean, there's all these – they'll probably have some sort of page you can go to to see what's available to download. I think they do. And those are are big titles right there. Yeah. That's a big deal. A lot of times these end up being the movies that you don't want to see. Sure. You would think are the ones that get available for download, but it looks like they have some that are actually – uh, interesting to watch the uh they you know and then they have their own content like we were talking about and they're actually going to put out even more next year than they did this year like a thousand more hours more yeah content they're creating content for mm. specific countries now like brazil this week had like three shows put out specifically made in brazil for brazil this is brazil wow. content it's not in portuguese but you know they, this is I, this has got to be you know, a big challenge to Amazon because yeah. you you were talking uh, last week about that new show on Amazon that they're just spending a ton of money on it. What is it, Top Gear? Uh, it's the the guys that were on the show Top Gear that was on BBC, and now they moved over to Amazon, and it's called The Grand Tour. Ooh. And they spent $3.2 million on the intro for the first episode is what I read. So I wonder how long so, it's going to take Amazon to, to jump on board with this. I don't know. But they have – if you've ever used – I was playing with their app on my phone. I'm like, that's – they have some interesting things. It just – you know, Netflix, when I used it before, was kind of choppy, it seemed like. Yeah. And this is – it seems more more fluid, I guess. But, you know, technology becomes better. But uh, if they had downloadable content, it would be – you know, it, it would help. Any way for us to know when these titles are going to be removed from our phones? No. Huh. That's the other that's problem. It's only on the Netflix app. Yeah. And is it will they take it back sometime? I don't know. They have control. Probably of it. if the because those movies are they only have a certain amount of time on there that based right. on what their contract is with them. Right. Oh, that would be the worst feeling downloading something like Minions, which is something I would never download. But and then just sitting down kids. finally to watch it and yeah. then it's gone. Well, get to it. Yeah. <laughs> watch it. Watch it immediately. We are going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back. We will be speaking with Dr. Ron Hager, who will be talking to us a little bit more about our choices and how that can impact our health when we return. This is The Matt Townsend Show. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson here with Terry South and Sadie Nielsen. We're filling in for Dr. Matt while he is away sick. You know... If I hadn't been here with him yesterday morning, I probably would have just thought it was an excuse because it's December, we're getting closer to Christmas, and I'm pretty sure he hasn't done too much of his Christmas shopping. So, who knows? Maybe he's at home pulling a uh, Ferris Bueller on us right now and laughing it up. He could be. (laughs) Well, if that's the case, then his car is probably going to get destroyed as well. What? Oh, yes. So, yeah. I don't think he's got anything as nice as a Ferrari, though. Was it a Ferrari? I, mean, I think so. it was a Ferrari. Or was it a Porsche? It was just so old I couldn't tell. Oh, I can't remember. My wife would know in an instant. Hmm. Anyway, we wish him well. We hope he, uh, he's back tomorrow and that he's feeling better. 
And too bad he's not here today to celebrate National Microwave Day with us. So uh, I'm just... Sadie uh, pulled out some leftovers. She's going to put them in the microwave right now. Hold on one sec. Wait. Wait a minute. Can can you smell that? (gasps) Smells like... uh, Pie. Microwavable pie. It's a new theme. Oh, that smells so good. Terry, can you knock it off, please? Wow. The sniffing? Yeah. It wasn't me. That was Donald. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm going to have that that smell on... Can you have a smell on your mind? I'm going to have it on my mind all day. Smell in your nose. (laughs) At least it wasn't fish. Thank you for not bringing fish into the the microwave. you're welcome. I had someone at an office once. They came in with a bag of mixed frozen vegetables. And microwaved it? So it's like cauliflower, it's broccoli, that kind of stuff, and they microwaved it. It smelled like a dumpster. Oh. The entire building just smelled. And you could follow the smell because it got stronger as you opened the door to her sealed off soundproof booth that she was working in. That's and disgusting. I'm like, I just opened the door and went, really? And she went, what? <laughs> I'm trying to eat healthy. Hopefully the sealed off soundproof booth is also smellproof and no. it just sealed it all in there. It no. just seeped through the walls. Nasty. It was horrible. Don't you like Brussels sprouts, Terry? Oh, yeah. Brussels sprouts. Oh, that would have been the worst. Brussels sprouts? You don't take them to work. Yeah. That's, no, that's, that, that's a treasure to experience at home hey do you know why we're celebrating national microwave day or or when and how the microwave came about do tell well let me tell you a man named percy spencer was testing some new radar technology in the mid 40s when he noticed that the chocolate bar in his pocket had melted is there any is there anything that melts things faster than your pocket I would venture to say the microwave doesn't even melt a chocolate bar as fast as your pocket. So mm. frustrating. I agree. Curious, he placed some popcorn kernels next to the vacuum tube he was working with, and sure enough, they popped. Microwave ovens began sweeping the consumer market in the early 70s. Some of the early models leaked, which gave the technology a bad reputation. Tests indicated that the injury from exposure would be limited to mild heat burns or short-term sterility. Despite FDA (laughs) assurances, people associated the leaks with scary radioactivity and developed rituals such as standing well away from the oven. We talked about that earlier and waiting for several seconds after the oven turned off before opening the door to be extra sure that the waves had dissipated. Still, the convenience outweighed the fear and the home microwave oven persisted. There you go. And the, the, story lives, of the, microwave. the lives of college students everywhere were changed forever. Uh, the, the micro... Oh, it cooks my bean burrito in a minute. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, it's probably... I, I would, my wife's pregnant, so I would probably not want her standing in front of the microwave for long periods of time. But Terry probably thinks I'm crazy. I don't know. It seems... Well, first, the guy there, the first guy, this Percy... Percy... Is that his name? Percy. Mm-hmm. You find something melting chocolate in your pocket, then you throw some some popcorn kernels and it pops them all night. You should probably think there's a problem there. There's something cooking things when it's close to it. You may want to move away. But now <laughs> right. I think they've contained it. I think they've figured it out after, you know, 30, 40 years. Yes. Microwaves, you know, I probably don't want to hang out next to it, but that's just because you may have something else to do. And, you know, by the way, that's why I carry butter and salt in my pockets, too, because I like to cook, uh, like to pop popcorn in there. Yep. By the way, the Ferris Bueller car? Yes. We were talking about it was a 1961 Ferrari 250 GT California. 
Oh, man. That was such a great car. Great car. Totally. Now, I th- I believe that I read that they just created a shell to that car and destroyed the shell. Or they put it, they put the shell of that on a different car. Yeah. That'd make more sense than actually ruining a classic. But yes. Who knows? Hopefully they did that with the James Bond car in, in one of the latest uh, James Bond movies. Anyway, we'll be talking more about Microwave Day and how you can celebrate that. It's an exciting historical day. And uh, when we uh, when we get back from uh, Sadie Nielsen giving us the, the beans on, I don't even know if that's an expression, give us the beans on what's going on around the country, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Ron Hager, who is going to be talking to us about how some of our choices with some of the trials that we have in our lives can help improve our health. But before we get to all that fun stuff, including a, uh, a story about uh, a gambler who does something a bit unusual in order to continue his habit, let's head on over to Sadie Nielsen and the headlines. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? Justin Ross Harris, the man convicted three weeks ago in the hot car death of his 22-month-old son, was sentenced Monday to life in prison without parole. This is basically the most aggravated killing of another individual, especially a young child, that there's only one sentence that reflects the evil nature of what he did, the lead prosecutor said in a requesting the maximum sentence. Ross, now 36, left Cooper strapped in a car seat in the back of his SUV for seven hours, resulting in the child's death. Donald Trump and his daughter Ivanka met with former Vice President Al Gore on Monday morning to discuss climate issues, the president-elect's communications director Jason Miller told reporters. While initially reported that Gore would not meet with Donald, the former vice president revealed upon exiting Trump Tower that he had, indeed, met with the incoming president. I had a lengthy and very productive session with the president-elect. It was sincere search for areas of common ground, Gore told pool reporters. You got Time Magazine has announced the finalists for its 2016 Person of the Year, and the shortlist includes a 19-year-old gymnast, a group of whistleblowers, a Super Bowl halftime performer, and a handful of politicians. Among the magazine's 11 finalists are Olympic gold medalist Simone Biles, Hillary Clinton, President-elect Donald Trump, Russian President Vladimir Putin, Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, and musician Beyonce Knowles. And finally, yes. Um, so we have a little story here about the Grinch who set Christmas on fire. Oh dear! Um, a Grinch-themed float bound for an Alabama parade never made it to the route thanks to a real-life Grinch and an ill-fated cigarette butt. <laughs> the Whoville Parade float, created by members of the Lost and Found Pets of Huntsville Madison County group on Facebook, was on its way to appearing in Thursday's Huntsville Christmas Parade, which had a Dr. Seuss theme. When a cigarette butt flicked from a passing vehicle, cost the float to catch fire. The float, created from about a thousand dollars worth of donated materials, quickly erupted into flames. Um, the lady who owns it said the float has taken volunteers about three months to build. What a Grinch. What a Grinch. You know, I wouldn't touch that guy with a 39 and a half foot pole. Me neither. He's a mean one. Man. Speaking of weird smells, he smells like a sauerkraut toadstool sandwich with arsenic sauce. Wow. I. That's a very descriptive description of him. Ah. <sighs> Yeah. You know, I've got three words that to describe this guy. Tell me. Stink. Uh-huh. Stank. Uh-huh. Stunk. Yep. 
I agree. Wholeheartedly, I agree with his heart that is two sizes too small. Oh, hopefully he'll uh, keep stealing and then somebody around him can just start singing loudly on Christmas Day and his heart will grow. Hopefully. We can only hope. But the Mm. good news is this float did have a GoFundMe page after this little accident occurred and they raised $3,000. Oh, great. So they had a little extra money to help uh, their pets that they rescue. Man, they need, to, they need to have a GoFundMe account that can get you three months back. Three months back. Wouldn't that be awesome? That would be crazy. Because that's how much time they spent on it, right? Yeah. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. Well, let's wish this guy well, and let's hope that he changes his grinchy ways. We can only hope. Oh, man, that's sad. Sadie, thank you so much. You're welcome. You know, three words I would use to describe you are pleasant... Not odious. Thank you. And uh, the sauce that I would liken you to would be... Sriracha. Ooh. I love sriracha. Let me tell you, you can put sriracha on anything. <laughs> Should you? No, but it's <laughs> <laughs> it's a versatile sauce in my opinion. I don't think they make sriracha Danish. Ooh. Oh, do you want it? They don't, but I would be willing to try it. Okay. I would. It, maybe uh, you could put it on some arsenic sauce and that would help take away yeah. some of the arsenic flavor. Yeah, we'll see. Anyway, I, you know, I neglected to mention that we are now joined here by Sean O'Neill, who will be running the board to make sure that I don't uh, run the show off the rails any further than I have already. That's okay. It's my fault already. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Things are, things are going just fantastic. And, uh, you know... Speaking of knowing when to hold them and when to fold them, how do you like that for a segue? You got to when to hold them. Kenny Rogers for you here this morning. As uh, authorities say, a man stood up from a blackjack, ta- a blackjack table in West Virginia, drove to rob a bank, and then returned to continue gambling. A grand jury last week indicted 52-year-old Kerry Johnson of Charleston on a bank robbery charge. Investigators say Johnson had been at the Mardi Gras Casino for hours on August 2nd when he put down a $25 chip to hold his spot. That's when police say Johnson drove 13 miles to a Charleston bank, gave tellers a note saying he had a bomb and a weapon, and robbed it. Police say Johnson then returned to the blackjack table and kept gambling. Seriously? Johnson could face 10 to 20 years in prison if convicted. Good. He should. Wow. That's a horrible thing to do. (laughs) How do you rob a bank, go back and gamble, and not admit that you have a bit of a gambling problem? I don't know. Obviously, he has just a tiny, tiny, tiny problem. It's very small, but it can be fixed. He obviously did not know when to fold them. No. What what was his thought process, though, as he's driving? He's like, oh, I'm going to go get some money and bring it back, and maybe I'll just set it on the table and win some more money. He probably had this song playing in his car and was humming along to it. I'm going to steal from the bank to gamble some more now. Well, Kenny says it right there. You never count your money when you're sitting at the table. Come on. That's true. There you go. Wow. He should have listened, but so he, he wasn't. May, he may not have even known that he lost the money if he wasn't counting his money. Mm-hmm. That's true. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. You know, we've been talking a lot about uh, interesting smells this morning because today is National Microwave Day. 
And uh, I was cooking something this morning, and uh, I didn't want to say what it was because I didn't want to offend anybody. Um, Sadie just cooked a bean burrito. Yes. No, no, no. You, you. No, 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 it was a pie. It was a pie. Sorry. Yeah. And uh, it's delicious. Terry South will be cooking up something in the microwave here the next hour, but uh, hopefully we're not cooking up anything in the microwave that is this stinky. Okay. Tell a us. septic tank truck crashed Monday night, dumping its load all over the road. Florida Highway Patrol says the driver of the septic pumping truck lost control as he was coming to a red light. Troopers believe the driver was trying to make it through the light before it turned red, and at some point the load inside the tank shifted, causing the truck to tip over. Why? Ugh. The septic tank truck dumped hundreds, if not thousands, of gallons of raw sewage all over the highway. Raw the dri- sewage? Yes. <laughs> the driver was trapped inside the truck for a while and had to be cut out of it. Yeah, it was not microwave sewage. Thank you. Oh, it was that fresh. would be worse. It was fresh raw sewage. And uh, just in case you care, he was taken to an area hospital for treatment. Crews spent hours cleaning up the mess, shutting down the road in that area. Did Mike Rowe go help? Mike Rowe, the host of Dirty Jobs. Yeah. You know, I I believe that that town has now been quarantined and it's a ghost town now. Wow. It's crazy what one one truck can do. It's crazy. Oh, sad, sad story. (laughs) I can't imagine. Anyways, um, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, We will be speaking with someone who smells quite pleasant, actually, and we are lucky to have him here on the program every couple of weeks. And we call him our health evangelist, and uh, you'll see why here in a few minutes. He's just a wealth of wisdom on on all things improving our health and nutrition, and uh, we really appreciate him here on the Matt Townsend Show. So we'll be speaking with Dr. Ron Hager, when we come back, this is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live healthier, happier, and uh, less smelly lives, hopefully. We'll be right back. Well, if you've tuned in over the past few weeks, as long as we've had that song, you know that that sound means that we've got Dr. Ron Hager in the house, who is our health evangelist here on the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, And uh, Dr. Ron Hager is also an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences at, at Brigham Young University. His area of expertise is chronic disease prevention. Dr. Hager, welcome back to the program. It's really good to be here. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. And I did take a shower before I came in. Oh, thank goodness. I shower every two weeks right before I come in and do the show. So you didn't cook anything in the microwave? Not yet. And you didn't drive down that road where the septic (laughs) tank truck crashed? No, apparently not. Oh, my goodness. Yes, thank you so much for being here. It's always always great to talk to you. And, you know, every time... I listen in on the interviews with you and Matt. I just feel like, oh, there's so much more I could be doing to improve my health. And if I would just do it, then my life could be so much better. And you're going to be talking more about that today. Yeah, a little bit. You know, as long as you don't feel overwhelmed, I suppose, because sometimes, you know, you get feeling that way. Uh, You know, I, I hope nobody ever feels that way. 
because uh, because it can happen. You know, there's so many things you think you can be doing. The tendency might be to throw your arms up in the air and say, you know, to heck with it all. Yeah. Who, who cares? There's so much. Why bother? And plus, there's a lot of conflicting information out there. You know, it seems like yeah. maybe you, you buy into one piece of, you know, information or something that came out in a study and, you know, you think you've got it figured out. And then all of a sudden you hear something and it's completely opposite. And you're like, what's the point? You know, it's interesting you bring that up because I feel like I feel pretty overwhelmed personally right now. And I'm unfortunately sometimes my way of handling things is just, oh, I'm just going to go make some muddy buddies or have a piece of cake or something. Yeah, and yeah. Not the best way to handle that. Yeah. And, you know, there's some there's actually some <clears throat> research on that. These uh, what are called tempting situations. Uh, you know, and how they affect people. Yeah. Uh, and one of those things is kind of a, you know, a, a, you know, negative, ne- you know, negative things that occur in your life, you know, like, you know, whatever stresses you out, you know, makes you want to just say, you know, maybe, maybe you studied real hard for an exam. And, you know, if you were a student and you took the exam and you really bombed it and you thought, you know, you know, I tried my hardest, so what's the point? Where's the Ben and Jerry's? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think a lot of people get stuck in the mindset of, well, you know, especially if somebody approaches them about this problem, if you will, well, I'm not, at least I'm not doing hard drugs. You know, at least I'm not, you know, <laughs> right. boozing myself to right. death, you know, yeah. but uh, still dangerous. Yeah. It, you know, so perception is, is part of all this, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the same thing can happen to two different people and one person says, you know, kind of in their mind's eye, uh, you know, this is just a challenge or this is just something I'm going to overcome or uh, they still find a way to, you know, almost turn it into a blessing or express gratitude, whereas other people, you know, they kind of go off the rails. Yeah. And, you know, it feels like for a lot of people, you know, they think that they're equipped to to do that. And, you know, when they're in the moment, oh, yeah, I'll I'll be this type of person, but it can be tough. Right. You know, I I heard a story on the radio, an NPR radio show, back in 2006. It's a, um, it's a series. It's a you know thing they do regularly. It's called This I Believe, and they ask people to write uh, essays about things that are happening in their life. And I'll never forget. I heard uh, one of the essays read aloud by the woman who wrote it. Her name was Catherine Royce, and she had been recently diagnosed with ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, mm-hmm. which is a a terminal condition. So, you know, this is a woman who's just been told she has a limited time to live and that this disease will disable her and eventually kill her. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if I put myself in her shoes, you know, and I think, well, how would I feel? You know, uh, it would be tough. It would be very tough. But I want to just share with you one of the Please. little uh, things that she wrote in her essay. She said, so far, I have discovered many unique things, this is after being diagnosed, but one stands out above the rest. I have discovered in myself an ability to recognize, give, and receive caring in a way far deeper than anything in my life before. I have always been an intensely private and independent person, but now I have allowed a wide circle of family and friends into the most intimate parts of my life. So how's that for a response to being diagnosed with a terminal condition. Yeah. So she obviously has, you know, an attitude of gratitude, I guess you could say. Yeah. And she's looking for what's good still, right? Even yeah. though even though it's in the midst of something that's potentially devastating. You know, it's interesting because you you you've heard it said that you know, the way you should live your life is to imagine that you only have a certain amount of time left, you yeah. know, but yeah. 
it's it's got to be different when you know that you only have a certain amount of time left. Right. Now, in my chronic disease class that I teach here at BYU, I always emphasize the fact that, you know, the disease we're talking about, we we can legitimately call them diseases of choice. Okay. Now, hmm. now that explain but, that. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, that that doesn't necessarily mean that a, you know, a person might directly choose to have heart disease. Right. You know, nobody would do that certainly or cancer, but indirectly the point is that the choices, the accumulation really of the choices we make uh, can strongly predispose us uh, to certain disease conditions. Hmm. And so, you know, a lot of times people think about that in terms of, you know, I guess more your physical or outward choices, like what do I eat? Do I exercise or not? How much sleep am I, you know, able to get? Uh, But what about just your perceptions? You know, perceptions can be choices as well. Uh, you You actually have control over those kinds of things. So I thought we'd, uh, you know, kind of talk more today about the mental side of things and how that actually bears out in our physical health. Yes, excellent. So there was a study uh, conducted some time ago. Actually, there's two researchers that have studied quite a bit in this area. Um, This kind of this idea of, you know, gratitude and health is what, uh, you know, how they look at it. Uh, Robert Amons from uh, UC Davis and uh, Michael McCullough from University of Miami. And, uh, a few years ago, they, they came out with a study, but they've done others, and other researchers have been involved in this kind of research as well. Uh, but they wanted to study the effect of, you know, I guess kind of a grateful perception or attitude uh, on health. And they, you know, they mentioned that gratitude is, is not easy to define. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's a kind of a conceptual thing. It might be considered an emotion. It might be considered an attitude or maybe even some kind of a moral virtue. Uh, they mention uh, maybe even a habit. Now, I really like that. Yeah. You know, have you ever met somebody that it just seems like, I mean, almost maybe to the point of uh, uh, irritation to you, they always just <laughs> seem like they habitually, you know, just look for the good, have a good attitude. Yeah. Now, you know, what your eye sees is one thing, but what your mind's eye sees can be something completely different. And, you know, that's kind of an interesting perspective hmm. right there because your 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 eye, or at least the the cells in your eye, are sensory receptors. They simply pick up the information, uh, translate it into an electrical impulse, send it to the brain. But in the brain is where you actually perceive it. And perception uh, can be quite interesting. You've probably seen some of these, uh, you know, optical illusion tests and things, you know, where you see two objects and they say is one bigger than the other, but they're actually the same size. Right. But because of the surroundings, you know, the dimensions or the or whatever, you know, one might seem bigger than the other. So, you know, your your physical eye, you know, can actually be deceived. But perceptually, you're left with a choice, hmm. which over time, you know, maybe could even become a habit to where you just see the good. Yeah. You know? uh, and so anyway, that, that's kind of the idea of what they're looking for. Um, and, uh, and, and one study, uh, these two researchers, they asked participants, uh, in this, and these were college students, mm-hmm. uh, to write a few sentences each week, uh, focusing on particular topics. Um, one group wrote about things that they were grateful for that had occurred during the week. A second group wrote about, uh, daily irritations of things that had occurred during the week that displeased them. And a third group wrote about events that had affected them, but there was no particular emphasis on them being, you know, like positive or negative. Hmm. And it's, it's kind of interesting. You'll, that you'll, seems like that would have been the, the most difficult of the three. Yeah, yeah. It had an impact, but not in a positive or negative way. Yeah, yeah. and here's some of the examples of, um, 
of uh, you know the gratitude-inducing experiences. Uh, the, and so you'll see that these are you know going to be college students uh, waking up in the morning. You know, how often do you wake up in the morning and honestly feel grateful? But but at least one student wrote that down. Uh, the generosity of friends uh, to God for giving me determination for wonderful parents to the Lord for just another day and uh, to the Rolling Stones. <laughs> so so one student was grateful to the Rolling Stones. And now in the other I- example, these are examples of, you know, hassles and things that were listed by the participants. They said um, hard to find parking. It kind of makes you wonder if these were BYU students. They weren't. But, yeah. But I, I hear students on our campus saying that all the time. Um, a messy kitchen, no one will clean. Okay, so obviously living with roommates. Uh, finances, depleting quickly. Uh, having a horrible test uh, in a class. Uh, stupid people driving. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, doing a favor for a friend who didn't appreciate it. Okay? Mm. Uh, and now in, these, in this third group, uh, examples of events – uh, that, you know, were, you know, neither here nor there. They weren't positive or negative. They were just asked to write about things. Uh, talked to a doctor uh, about medical school. Learned CPR. Cleaned out my shoe closet. Flew back to Sacramento. Uh, and what was interesting is the researchers then went in and rated those as, you know, to whether they were positive, kind of negative or indifferent. And it was kind of interesting. It was almost an equal split. Uh, they found that you know that about forty uh, percent uh, were were kind of pleasant, uh, about thirty percent were unpleasant, and about thirty percent were neutral. So that was mm. that was kind of an interesting finding. But the the, the real uh, you know thing that uh, you know the the results that came out of that. Uh, so this is just you know doing a little journaling, trying to develop the skill of mm-hmm. being grateful. Uh, the group that wrote about you know being grateful. Uh, they found that they practiced better health behaviors. For example, they exercised more. They had a better diet. They um, they they had f- less doctor visits, you know, for illnesses, those kinds of things. So wow. appa- apparently, you know, how you perceive things can affect you mentally and physically. That is just amazing. So really having an attitude of gratitude – We've seen it on on paper how it has an effect on your life and on your health. Yeah, and this was after 10 weeks. So, you know, it was wow. ten, 10 weeks of kind of following these protocols. Yeah. Um, Imagine what, what 10 years could do or 50 years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, like, like a habit, right? So, uh, Dr. Hager, let's take a break. Okay. When we come back, let's continue this discussion. Very interesting and something that I, I really could work on. Uh, And we'll talk more about that, too, when we get back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live healthier, happier, and more optimistic lives. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Program. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt, who is a little under the weather, which is interesting because we're talking with Dr. Ron Hager, who is mentioning how some of our choices uh, and our outlook and, and optimism can really have an impact on our health. So hopefully he can be optimistic that his health will improve, and I'm optimistic that he'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> but uh, anyway, you know, before we went to the break, we talked about uh, these journals that these college students had taken for about 10 weeks. Uh, one group wrote down things that they were grateful for. Another group 
uh, wrote about things that annoyed them or were right. yeah. Uh, and then the third group talked about just in, things that happened basically or things that had an impact on their lives, whether you know not negative or positive. Right. Right. Um, I'm just curious, really, bef- before we dive deeper into this. Um, you've probably – I know you've heard about people doing journals with their food intake, right? Sure. And writing down everything that they're consuming every day. Do you feel like those types of journals have an impact on people? I think at least for a while. For they, a while. They certainly can, Jeff. Yeah. Be, I mean it might be kind of a grind, you know, like the whole sort of counting calories sort of yeah. thing. Uh, I think at least for a little while though, it helps with the sense of awareness. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I encourage people to do – uh, you know, it's regarding sodium intake. I mean, most people have no idea how much sodium they're consuming. Mm. It's 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 infused in so much of the food that we eat nowadays that they people just don't know. But there are recommendations, you know, for how much you should be consuming. Uh, you know, especially if you're hi- hypertensive or hi- have high blood pressure or something like that. Right. So I always encourage people at least for a week. You know, to take the time to look at nutrition labels and everything they eat. If it doesn't have a nutrition label, you can, you know, Google it. You know, like let's say you're eating an apple. You know, you yeah. can quickly Google and it'll tell you how much sodium's in an average size apple and keep a sodium journal. And so I, I think just for the for the sake of awareness that, you know, a lot of times journaling helps you become aware of things that you're otherwise, uh, you know, not able to kind of see in your yeah. life. Yeah. And that's – and I think this same experience with, you know, the, kind of the – the, the gratitude journal or whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it, you know, can do the same thing. Uh, you know, it, it it's not that bad things don't happen to good people. You know, it, it, everybody deals with misfortune. Everybody right. has trials and burdens in their life. Uh, and granted, some are worse than others, but I can't imagine, you know, a whole lot of things that might be worse than, say, what experience, Catherine Royce experienced. Right. You know, I mean, she, yeah. was, she was a vibrant, active person. She was a dancer. Uh, she was a writer. I had everything in the world to live for, and she, you know, gets diagnosed with uh, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and three years later, she's dead. So, you know, she, so she had three years to live. And, and I just want to mention one thing real quick. Yeah. Uh, I, I found this fascinating. Before she died, uh, she wrote a book. I haven't read it. Uh, it's on my, you know, list of things to read. Uh, it's, a, it's a series of essays that she wrote. But the title of this book is, Wherever I Am, I'm Fine, Letters About Living While Dying. Wow. Okay. And, you know, whether you're diagnosed with a terminal condition or not, we're all kind of in that same situation. I mean, we're all headed for the terminal end, you know, of, of, our, of our mortal experience. Yeah. You know, so what if we all said, wherever I am, I'm fine? And, you know, that's interesting because you mentioned, you know, you, you can't imagine living with Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, you know, and she lived with it. And she sounds like the type of person that probably felt that way, you know, like, oh, I, at least I don't have such and such. You know, she was, had such a positive outlook, well, even with it, ALS. Yeah, and like I said, she she got closer to her family. She was used to being the one who was the caregiver. She had to learn to receive caring. Mm. And she said that opened a whole new world yeah. to her. So, you know, you can always experience good things, even in the midst of some pretty tough stuff. And And, and that attitude actually affects you. Physically, it affects your physical health. So it's not just a mental thing that stops there. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of other research, a lot of studies I mentioned, you know, that have looked at the role of gratitude uh, and, and some of the physical outcomes. Uh, people who have an attitude of gratitude, I guess you could say, they've been shown to take better care of themselves physically and mentally. Uh, they engage in more protective health behaviors. 
and maintenance. So they, they even wear their seatbelts more, hmm. right? So it's almost like yeah. they have this feeling of, I have something to live for, you know, so they, they do the right things. Um, they, they actually get more regular exercises. I already mentioned they eat a healthier diet. Uh, they have improved mental alertness. So in other words, uh, uh, better cognitive functioning. Uh, and some research has even shown that it that this kind of an approach to, you know, your troubles and your trials actually staves off mental decline. Wow. So things like, you know, uh, dementia, Alzheimer's disease, those kinds of things, um, they, they cope better with stress and daily challenges. It's almost like they can see past it, right? That's, that's good because one of the things I was going to ask you is, you know, obviously it seems like this is something that could apply to any type of a trial, not just, you know, a debilitating disease. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people in these re- in these various studies uh, avoid uh, problematic physical symptoms. So they, you know, just from a physical manifestation of disease or disability, they don't they don't express the same way, you know, yeah. that, that other people do. Uh, they have stronger immune systems. So there are ways to actually measure, you know, immune strength or immune functioning. And these people have, uh, you know, st- stronger immune systems. They're 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 better able to resist. You know the the invading pathogens that can make them ill, uh, and and they have a a brighter view of the future. You know they don't they don't live in a, a doomsday world. You know the world's coming to an end. They, and it's not so much that they live, you know, day by day. They actually see beyond it, and they just yeah uh, you know ha- have a better outlook. Uh, and it affects them physically. It's amazing. You know I I am definitely somebody that just appreciates people that are around me that have this outlook on life and that just the type of person that everybody wants to be their friend, you know, yeah. because these are the type of people that 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 can help you become that type of a person where when these trials do come your way, because as you mentioned, we're all going to have trials sooner or later of varying degrees, um, that we can be better equipped to handle them and then in turn make life more manageable and more pleasant for other people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so I'm going to go back to Catherine Royce's experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, I read something that she had written about, uh, you know, she discovered an ability to, you know, recognize and give and receive yeah. uh, caring and, and how that changed her life. Uh, and she said, she said previously she would have found, you know, such a prospect appalling, you know, because she was a, an mm. intensely independent private person. Yeah. Right. Um, she said she would have assumed that living with ALS meant a life of hardship and isolation. I mean, who wouldn't think that, right? Right. So it's not like these thoughts didn't enter her head. Sure. She made a choice, right? Which one she was going to focus on, which one she was going to make her reality. And and she said, instead, because I believe that I always have a choice, I open myself to other possibilities. And now the very thing that at first seemed so abhorrent has graced my life with unaccustomed sweetness. It also wow. reminds me of uh, Viktor Frankl's uh, experience in yes. his, his book, Man's Search yes. for Meaning. I mean, here's a guy that's in a concentration camp, right, where where basically every possible freedom that you could conceive of is taken from him. Mm-hmm. Yet he says, even in the midst of those circumstances, he still has a choice. He's still at his agency. Yeah. I just think that's a huge key. And you, you cannot be so ready and willing to give that up because uh, of something that impacts your life in a negative way. Yeah. You, you have to be able to say, 
this is how I choose to perceive this. And, you know, we, we talked about other examples other than debilitating diseases, and it seems like forgiveness is huge, too. Yeah. Is it yeah. the, is it the, the, the woman in the hiding place yeah. that uh, approaches the man that was in the concentration camp that had, you know, just been so relentless against her and she forgave him? Yeah. So there's, you know, it's interesting you mention that because there are studies specifically on forgiveness yeah. as well. So this is, there are a number of, traits, I guess you could say, uh, that qualify a person for better health based on their choice. Wow. Man, that's just, it's so key because, you know, not everybody probably has somebody like this in their lives. And so, you know, we have the opportunity to try to become that person where whether it's a disease or whether it's something that we're, a different trial that we're, that we're struggling with, we can have this more positive outlook. We can make a conscious decision that we are not going to let these trials and we're not going to let these diseases define who we are. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dr. Ron Hager, thank you so much for being on the program. We always enjoy having you here and uh, we look forward to having you back in a couple of weeks. Are you going to be here? Thank you. Yep, I'll be here. Okay. Traveling for the holidays? Uh, Just between uh, my house and the radio station. (laughs) Excellent. Well, we appreciate you and all the work that you do. We've been speaking with Dr. Ron Hager, who is an associate professor here at Brigham Young University, and he is our health evangelist. And I've got to go home and, and implement some of these ideas that he's presented to us here this morning. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we will be speaking with our producer, Caitlin Thomas, who will be talking to us about the top gifts of 2016 when we come back. You know, we all know uh, that Christmas is the season of giving, and buying gifts give everyone in our life uh, is where they jo- is where the joy of the holiday comes from. But sometimes we don't always know what to buy for those special people in our lives. So Caitlin Thomas is here with us today to tell us about some of the most desired gifts for this Christmas season. Caitlin, great to see you, you again. Jeff, Christmas is less than 20 days away now. I can't believe that. I can't either. I don't I still don't even know where 2016 town. went. I know, and it's almost <sighs> over, but Santa Claus is coming to town. Woohoo! I'm almost done with school, so I'm starting to feel more relaxed. Yes. But I notice as Christmas gets closer and closer, my mom begins to get more and more Duh. stressed out. Um, <laughs> but she she's like an ultimate shopper. Yeah. So she, she doesn't do the online thing? She's no, she does. Okay. Cause especially because now our kids are a little bit older, so a lot of what we want is online. Mm-hmm. But she is the ultimate shopper. But not everybody is as good at shopping as my mom. So, so we're she, going to talk about that today. Okay. So does she know these some of these gifts that you're going to talk about here? Yeah, probably. I would imagine she's bought most of them. Wow. But we're going to start off with the best gifts for little kids. Okay. Because I think a lot of our listeners probably have little kids, and they love toys and having lots of stuff to open. Have you heard of the toy called the Hatchimal? The Hatchimal. I believe so. Yeah, listen to this Something commercial. is happening all over the world. No one knows where they're from <laughs> or what's inside. Doesn't that just sound magical? So, it's up to us to find <laughs> out. <laughs> so it's this little... So you get an egg. It comes like an egg. Well, that's good. It comes Sorry. in an egg, 
And I guess you the kid opens it, and then you have to, like, hold it and keep it warm, and then it hatches. It literally hatches itself out of the egg, and then you have a fun little pet to take care of, I guess. It's kinda, wow. It looks kind of like a Furby when it comes out. You know, if you were to ask me one of the top gifts of 2000, it would have been something similar to this. Do you, do you remember those... Tamagotchis or Tamaguchis. Yeah. Those are back in, you know that. Really? Right? They're back on they're back on the list. So it kind of sounds like that. Yeah, but it's like real. It's wow. not electronic. Like it's a, it's a physical egg-shaped thing you can hold and it hatches out of it. Well, now, let me remind you of the Cabbage Patch Kids from years <laughs> ago. So, yeah, see they just keep getting bigger and better. So now wait a All minute. All little kids want a hatchmole. Apparently you can't find them anywhere. Do you know what age group this is good for? Um, I'm gonna assume like four to nine. I would say none. Mm. I would. Well, kids love it. Apparently, you can't find them anywhere. Shelves are just gone. Of these, can they die? You know, if you don't take care of them, no. I hope not. Because that that was the worst part about Tamagotchis is that they would just die. (laughs) But yeah, so a Hatchimal. Okay, Hatchimal. If you have little kids, get a Hatchimal if you can. You have you seen that game? It's called Whatcha Mouth Game. It's a game where they have like that dentist piece and like so your mouth's all wide open and your teeth are spread out and you have to say <laughs> phrases and people have to guess what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> Apparently that is huge this year. I have seen it all over my friends' Snapchats. But oh it's goodness. recommended for little kids, but apparently adults enjoy it too. Oh, it's on YouTube. It's you, you, all you have people playing over this game on internet. YouTube. Yeah. What, what's you, your mouth? Yeah. What's your mouth? You put this plastic thing in your mouth that holds it you open. Know, it's like when you go to the dentist and they're like putting your mouth right. Big. Yeah, like yeah. That. Yeah. And then but you have to say phrases. And have people understand the phrases with this thing with in your this mouth. With this thing in your mouth. Oh, my goodness. Apparently, it's just a hoot. So that's for kids. But that I'm actually looks like it could be too. fun. Actually, yeah. <laughs> you know, okay. So if we can get one of those, we'll play it on the show. How does that sound? Except for we, as Christmas. long as we're like live Facebook living it because you've got to see oh, it. Oh, for sure. Now. Okay. <laughs> um, little kids also like they have this one sounds great. So they're going old school, and it's just a giant, three-foot-tall, stuffed unicorn. Really? No joke. It's selling out like crazy. Does it say anything or make no, any magical it's just sounds? just a stuffed, three-foot-tall unicorn. Kids are going crazy over it. Wow. Can they ride it? I mean, yeah. It stands on all fours. <laughs> Holy cow. Sheesh. So that would have that would have been right up the alley. They have for boys Air Wars battle drones, so it's like... Drones that you use for cameras, but it's made for little kids, and you can battle them in the air. Oh, they used, to, they used to do that on the ground, actually, when I was so. a kid. It was called Tops. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, oh, those Sean. are just a couple of gifts for kids. Now let's go to teens and adults. Okay. They seem to be a little bit easier to shop for. They're just much more pricey. Obviously, Absolutely. the top-selling gift for teens and adults is iPhone 7. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Which How I much already is that? know I'm getting that for Christmas. How much is it? Uh, it depends on uh, depends, depends on, on what you get. So I'm getting it, but Memory I'm getting size. it like through the like through my carrier, and I'm only getting the 16 gig, but it's still like seven hundred dollars. So oh, yeah. basically, so I'm, paying, I'm paying for it monthly, but my mom's going to pay the first month for Christmas. So if oh, you're there out you there listening, uh, uh, Caitlin Thomas is single. So if you'd like to marry into this family, that will spend that kind of money no, on Christmas we're not gifts. Seven hundred dollars on a Christmas <laughs> gift. My mom's paying the first twenty-seven, and then I got to spend the next two years paying twenty-seven a month. Oh, oh. there you go. Okay. But, okay. Uh, they have the. Uh, that Amazon Echo speaker. Mm-hmm, Have you seen mm-hmm. those commercials? Yeah. yeah Apparently yeah. that's huge right now. Google has one as well. And uh, there's these speakers that – it's a speaker, but it just talks. It does, it's like Siri. It's like Siri in, in your house. Yeah. So basically – reminds me of Smart House. Remember that scary mm-hmm. Disney movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm a little bit afraid of that. So basically it'll say like, 
What do you want to find? Find, find. Probably something like that. It'll Does probably it echo? keep track of your <laughs> No, it's not. A, it's called Echo. It's called Echo. But they, but they have a different they, name for the for the voice. The voice is know. called yeah, somebody it has a different name. Alexa, is that Yeah, that's it? it. That's it. I think I think it if it doesn't echo then it's false advertising. I agree. Yeah, that's rude. The iPad Pro came out. Apparently oh. that's big. All is that, is that the a, kids that's a laptop, isn't it? Or is that a, no, it's or an is a tablet? iPad. It's a tablet. Okay. But it's Apparently, it's lightning fast and it's got tons of storage. See, now, gifts know. like that for kids, that's got to frustrate adults that See, want that. I know, that. because when I was a teenager, we wanted Razer flip phones that cost you like 50 bucks, yep. and that was that was big. Now, it's teenagers are asking for iPad Pro and $700 iPhone 7. So, I'm sorry, moms and dads. You know what? Instead of just buying them all this technology, do they really need it? No. Just well, buy them some clothes. No. I understand another hard to get gift right now is the Nintendo, the new Nintendo. Yeah. Well, the old school the Nintendo. Nintendo. Is it the box. mini one? Yes. Oh. Wow. Br- it's making a comeback. They also have the old Pac-Man handheld game. Mm-hmm. That's I didn't think out, kids like, were interested in in retro stuff like that. Millennials are way retro. But anyway. Wow. Okay. So the iPhone, the iPhone seven, the Hatchimal, the Whatchamacallit, the Whatchamal, <laughs> the iPad Pro. But just get stuff that's going to mean something. Don't stress out too much about it. And in the end, folks, it's not about how much you spend on the people it's that you care. How much love you give. Yes. Yes. Wow. Caitlin Thomas, thank you so much. We look forward to talking to you again on Thursday. You always do a, a great job and knock it out of the park. Have a Merry Christmas, everyone, and a Happy New Year. Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, all those holidays. We want to include everybody. And we don't want to exclude anybody. When we come back, we've got some more fun news stories for you. As well, we will be speaking with a member of the Osmond family, Justin Osmond and his wife, and uh, talking a little bit more about uh, uh, a charity that they have that's going on. When we come back, this is The Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Hello, Follow Dr. World Matt on Twitter at the Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson here filling in for Dr. Matt while he is away sick or pulling a Ferris Bueller on us. One of those. Joined here by Bueller. Terry South. Bueller. <laughs> Joined here by Terry South, our wonderful producer, and Sean O'Neill, who's running the board for us right now. Ah, we're all here to celebrate Microwave Day. Oh, oh, Terry, what are you putting in there? The only true thing an American will eat out of a microwave. And what's that? Wait. It doesn't have much of an odor yet. What is it? It's a sponge. How do you that's how you clean sponges? Your oh. microwave. Come on. I did not. I, I did not. I put mine that. on the top rack of the dishwasher. Yeah, people microwave them. It kills the microbes. <laughs> sure. I don't know. You guys clean your sponges? Yeah. I throw them away. There's that too, because they smell. Well, but you sterilize them if you put them in the dishwasher. Yeah. We uh. live in the throwaway society that we all just have embraced and throw it away. You know, I was hungry until. Terry put a sponge in the microwave. I mean, you know, burritos, those are always good. But, I mean, like everything. Come on. The most popular thing to put in a microwave has got to be popcorn. Mmm. Mmm. 
Well, we'll have to have a different discussion about this later because I use, not to seem highbrow or anything, but I use the Stir Stir Crazy Popcorn Popper, which I'll sell you on later. I Um, I use the movie theater. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Oh, I can't. You can't beat the movie theater popcorn. Anyway, I'm sure pretty much everybody who has a microwave will be celebrating National Microwave Day today. We are also going to be speaking with uh, Justin Osmond and Christy Osmond of the Osmond family, who are going to be telling us more about the the foundation that they have and uh, some of the trials that they've gone through and how they've overcome them, which is interesting because we've been talking about trials with Dr. Ron Hager in the last hour we did that. We will also mention a story about uh, a deer in a car. Hmm. That's all I'm going to say about that. Terry, what else? What else do you want to tease? Buzz Aldrin. Yes, he's he's in the news. You don't All tease right. Buzz Aldrin. That's like pulling on Superman's cape. Come on. Apparently, there's a worldwide demand for the TV show The Apprentice. Okay. Yes. And <laughs> with the, with President Elect Trump. Well, I'll let you know. Ah, I don't okay. want to tease too much. And yeah, Amazon is doing some things too. Hmm. So we'll talk about that coming up. Excellent. Wow, what an exciting hour we've got ahead of you. And then, of course, we will end the hour by speaking with our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation and then end the program with our hero story of the day. But first, we need to get over to Sadie Nielsen with the headlines of what's going on around the country. Sadie, what's going on? White House Press Secretary Josh Earnest admitted Monday that President-elect Donald Trump's unexpected Friday phone call with President of Taiwan has left multiple U.S. officials scrambling to do damage control. I can confirm that U.S. officials, including senior officials of National Security Council, have been in touch with their Chinese counterparts to reiterate the country's continued commitment to one China policy, Earnest said, discussing the longstanding American policy against formally recognizing Taiwan as a nation independent of China. Beijing considers Taiwan to be a province of their mainland. The U.S. military this month will return to Japan's government more than 9,800 acres of land it has held since World War II, Secretary of Defense Ash Carter said Tuesday. The 9,852 acres of land on the island of Okinawa as part of a territory officially referred to as the Northern Training Area is in a large U.S. military base complex on the Pacific Island more than 960 miles southwest of Tokyo. The U.S. has turned most of Okinawa over to Japan in 1972 after controlling it from the end of World War II in 1945. This is the largest return of U.S occupied land since then and finally yes um in your christmas news a seattle woman whose home was targeted by a christmas light stealing bull bandit she eventually caught the culprit on video a neighborhood squirrel margaret reekin said the christmas bull bandit stole more than 150 bulbs from her outdoor decorations in the space of 24 hours before she managed to catch the thief on video He's a little squirrel that we are calling the bull bandit. We want to believe that this little varmint is decorating his nest, but really we think he believes this to be food. He has stolen 150 in 24 hours, carefully and precisely chewing through wires to steal the bulb and bury them in our neighborhood. He's the hardest working rodent we've ever seen, and we are really pulling for him, hoping he survives this winter. He's a quick little bandit with really good hops. Oh, I hope they show that squirrel no mercy. No mercy. So we've got people going around ruining floats, 
The people have spent three months on. We've got squirrels stealing Christmas light bulbs. What's happening? I don't know. Are these real light bulbs or LEDs? No, they're like you know the colorful ones that like look like candy corns. Yeah, oh. yeah, they're like they're like the bigger ones. He's but been stealing all of those. If they're real, if they're real light bulbs, they're going to be too hot for that squirrel to touch. I mean, that if is it's a during, great point. If it's during the daytime, apparently, oh, okay. Okay. apparently he's been if they're off, really working then... hard. Yeah, Those squirrels can run off with the darndest things. It's true. They used to steal our squash and our tomatoes. And you wonder how they do it. So they're the real Grinches of Christmas. I agree. Squirrels. Sadie, thank you so much. You're welcome. Sadie, please say it isn't so. What? This is your last week with us. Yes. Yes, it is. No. I appreciate that sound effect. <laughs> that was genuine, even though it kind of sounded like our Darth Vader. <laughs> it's okay. No, but so bigger and better things. Yes. I am possibly moving on to a new job. <gasps> so. Here at BYU Radio? No. Oh. <laughs> But I will come back and visit, of course, because I will still be here at school. Sadie is our third Christmas Grinch of the day. <laughs> that ruined it. It I'm ruined it for green. me. I'm not green. So, Well, Sadie, we wish you the best of luck in your new job. We've loved having you on the show, and thank you so much for all you do. Appreciate it. <sighs> well, on that sad note. What, what do we do on Friday when it's our actual last day? I don't know. Cronuts. Okay. Do we have to do this? Cronut no, party? I'm saying, do we have to do that all again? Oh, just, I'm sorry, I ruined it. it. She's leaving Friday. You're doing the. Okay. Well, but Matt, I'm, I'm not going to be here, so it was nice to say it goodbye was, to okay, Sadie. Great, it okay? was for Sean. That's really what it was all about. Oh She's man, got a couple more days. <clears throat> well, speaking of dead careers, we've got a story—not dead careers, but dead jobs here at BYU Radio. Wow. We've got. Story about a dead deer. Just pronounced her future. Just no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll admit that was that was a bad segue. I love you, Sadie. An unnamed 59-year-old in Wisconsin accidentally struck a, a a deer in the early evening and loaded the animal into the back of his trunk, apparently to take it home to eat. Hmm. Hopefully he's going to skin it and all that stuff first. He then called the Adams County Sheriff's Department to report the deceased deer, and Deputy Brian Lowenhagen was sent to inspect the scene. Dashcam footage for Lowenhagen's car shows the two men talking for about a minute before going to the trunk of the car for the deputy to take the deer away and put it down. The motorist gingerly opened the door and poked the apparently lifeless animal before slinging it to the ground on the side of the road. Lowenhagen took note of its mangled leg as it was prized from the vehicle. However, in a flash, the deer steadied itself and bounded off back into the woods as the two men looked on dumbstruck. The Adams County Sheriff's Department posted about the incident the next morning on its Facebook page with a photo of actors Chris Farley and David Spade in a car in a scene from the movie Tommy Boy with a deer in their back seat. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs> but sorry about your car, man. 
<laughs> oh, Chris Farley, another person that is sorely missed. What we've learned from this story is there's a process for claiming roadkill. You call the yeah, police. Yeah, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, why did he call the police? If you just take the deer, they think you poached it. Right? You don't have a license. You went out illegally hunting and you got yourself a deer. You call the police. They come inspect the kill. And, okay, you can take it. Because, it's. I mean, it's wasted well, yeah, meat, if not. But, I mean, there's a process for claiming roadkill. Maybe he thought that he would have been prosecuted for deer slaughter or something. Yeah. No, I don't know if you can claim roadkill or not. I, he did. He said, here's my deer. I, you know, found it. Good for him. <laughs> so Man. the cop comes and sees that obviously there's no, you know, you didn't shoot it. And mm-hmm. they can claim, I don't know. I just it's interesting there's that's a process a very good here. Point. There's very a process. Good point. Not that I'm like, wow, look, there's some raccoon. Let's call the cops. So Terry, you teased three really enticing stories before we went to Sadie. So Buzz Aldrin, he's eighty six. Wow. Yeah. Is that all? Astronaut Buzz Buzz Aldrin. I thought he was a little older than that, but okay. Recently fell ill after becoming the oldest person to reach the South Pole. Hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, they they had to evacuate him off the ice block and get him to, well, Australia, New Zealand is where he went. And uh, the interesting thing was his doctor. His doctor's name, Dr. David Bowie. <laughs> so there's this whole, you know, the David Bowie wrote Starman, Life on Mars, Space Odyssey, or Oddity with astronaut Buzz mm-hmm. Aldrin. not that. Yeah. It's not that guy. He's, he, no. of course, David Bowie passed on. But, yes, that but David Bowie did. Could, could any accomplishment after going to space could could any how do you yeah. top that I don't well, know dancing with the stars didn't so <laughs> I don't know so he was evacuated from the south pole over the weekend and has been advised to remain in quarantine until the fluid in his lungs clear which is kind of dangerous mm-hmm. the the interesting thing i heard was there was a bunch of uh, conspiracy theories because uh, secretary of state john kerry went to the south pole recently like what? What internet? What like State Department international sort yeah. of business is going on at the South Pole? And like Buzz Aldrin is there. John Kerry. Are they having a secret council down there? No, is it- John Kerry's about to leave office, so he wanted to get in all the traveling well, he could. That's what other people thought. But there, you know, there's talk of like a civilization under the ice caps. Can I just throw in another conspiracy? Go ahead. These are fun. They're all elves. They could be. And they're getting ready for Christmas. But if they're at the ready. North Pole. No, but the South Pole, they, they give uh, gifts to all of the bad boys and girls. Is that what that is? Okay. There's yeah. a Dan Brown book that talks about a, a, conspir- a government conspiracy under the ice caps. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying. So Dan These Brown is one there. of them. Uh, to my second story, Donald Trump's stunning win in the 2016 presidential election has sparked a global spike in the interest of the old rerun episodes of The Apprentice. Oh, the old ones. The people around the world look to show look to the show, uh, which ran on NBC for 14 seasons, more than a decade, and uh, give some clues the kind of person that he will be as a leader. Maybe that's how he's going to choose his cabinet. He's just he's just set up a, a whole how, apprentice thing. It's how he's doing it. Yeah. He has the media set up in the lobby of the mm-hmm. Trump Tower. They all get paraded in front, and there you go. You know that cannot be productive because you know people are doing it to just discover more things that they can hate about Donald Trump. Of Could course. Be. Could be. This is a surge in the value for the library of The Apprentice and Celebrity Apprentice. Could be a financial boon for both Trump and MGM as uh, they both own the archive along with the series creator. So, you know, hmm. The Apprentice. So if you're overseas and you see The Apprentice, that's Is it fine. on Netflix? Uh, I don't know. Oh, okay. That's next. And finally, yesterday, Amazon announced that they have op- – they're planning on opening 2,000 grocery stores. 
They, they're starting with one in Seattle. Right. Of course. I think they, they are, have to test the concept first. Yes. Yeah. There, is, there are no cashiers. Yeah. Right? You walk in the door. If you watch the video, the, the guy walks in the door, swipes his phone across the scanner, and then he collects all the goods in the store mm-hmm. that he would like to purchase, walks out the door, and it ends up on his Amazon account, and he gets an email giving him his bill. So there's wow. no. Well, I think to, you have. I think you. I would think you'd have like Google Pay or Apple Pay on your phone or it's something. It's not even that. It's just through the Amazon app, hmm. and then they they know that you there's a oh, that's Q, right. there's like a QR code that they'll put on the app, and as you right. scan it, it knows it's you. It connects it to your account, and you pay for it as you walk out the door. You don't have to actually stop or anything. No, yeah, but it, autom- it automatically duck, deducts from whatever account you've right. set up. So right. I've got a couple of questions just right off the bat. Mm. They probably are going to have a lot of kinks to work out, mm, I'm guessing. I would think so. Because either with you know charges that are on your account that shouldn't be there for something that maybe you didn't take out. or right. And I would assume that even though they're advertising this as a cashier-free experience, there are still going to be employees sure. in the stores. There's people – if you watch the commercial, there's, stalkers. there's a guy in the deli making sandwiches. Oh, okay. Right. So they still and there's have, probably going to be somebody employees. there answering questions sure. constantly. But the idea is there. it's called Amazon and Go. So just grab your stuff and walk out the door. Do you think this is going to upset people? Yeah, because it just feeds into the whole, you know, we're using technology to eliminate mm-hmm. jobs. Automated cars. Yeah. That sort of thing. Which is interesting because it seems like that's something that the people of Seattle would uh, feel very passionately about. Maybe they'd enjoy it. I don't know. So they're going to test it, probably see where mm. the bugs are and fix it before they roll it out. I'm not going to lie. I'll try it for <laughs> sure. Sure. If I still have an Amazon account by then. Not too happy with uh, Amazon Prime right now. Mm. That two-day shipping uh, doesn't really exist here in Utah. Not for me anyway. Anyway, wow. I don't want to be a downer. Do you need some meditation music <laughs> or something? Maybe. You know, I think I need to talk to our next guests who seem to be very optimistic because they've had some severe trials in their lives and they've overcome them, not only overcome them, but have made lives, uh, other people's lives better as a result of their service and their efforts. We're going to be speaking when we come back with Justin and Christy Osmond, who uh, head up the Olive Osmond Hearing Fund and uh, also have had some, some big trials themselves and have overcome them. And uh, we're looking forward to speaking with them and having them help me to forget about my third or my first world problems of Amazon Prime. And that's uh, all when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt while he's away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. We are blessed this morning to be speaking with Justin and Christy Osmond. Justin Osmond was diagnosed at the age of two with a 90% hearing loss, but after 12 years of intense speech and listening therapy, he is now a renowned motivational speaker. He has gone on to create the Olive Osmond Hearing Fund, an institution to raise money for kids with hearing loss and to provide them with hearing aids. He also completed a 250-mile race to raise money for 25 children to receive hearing aids. 
Justin also joins us with his lovely wife, Christy. For a few years, they have tried having children, but after multiple treatments, they were still unable to become pregnant. Then just a few months ago, through an adoption service, they were able to adopt two baby girls. We are excited for them to join the show today to talk about how they have overcome such enormous trials in their lives. Thanks for being here with us on the Matt Townsend Show, Justin and Christy. Hey, good morning, Hey, thank you so much. Yeah, I apologize. You don't get to speak to Dr. Matt this morning, but uh, it's his his loss is my gain. <laughs> well, I hope we I hope we get feeling better. But we're honored to be on the show, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'll mention this later. I you know I don't mention this too much on the program because I work in radio and uh, probably not the best thing. But I have a little bit of a hearing loss too. I'll, I'll mention that in a second. But uh, Justin, I, first of all, I want to ask you. What was it like growing up with a 90% hearing loss? How, and how did it affect your childhood? Uh, that's a great question, uh, Jeff. Imagine life without sound. You know, imagine life, not being able to hear life precious sound from your family and your loved one. Uh, imagine life not being able to hear the music. And, of course, imagine life not being able to hear you guys on the wonderful radio show. Uh, you know, for many, it might take some imagination. But for me, I've lived it. You know, and, and I, it, 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 it was tough. It was really difficult growing up, and especially in a musical family. Uh, I remember uh, going to my, my dad's shows and and uh, not being able to understand or hear what was going around around me, and it was very confusing. Um, I, I didn't know where I fit in. I felt isolated. I felt lonely um, and being feeling disconnected uh, from, from everything, and... Um, and so communication was, was very difficult for me. And so I had a lot of barriers and mountains to climb. And, and, um, but you know what? I, I had a, a wonderful mom and a dad uh, that believed in me. I had a wonderful support uh, system around me. Um, like you mentioned, I'd taken uh, many years of speech therapy. But one thing I really remember, Jeff, uh, my mom would read me a bedtime story every single night for many years. And that was the story about the little tutor train. Uh, that I think I can, I think I can, I yeah. know I can. And I, I've always wondered, that's, why do you have to read me that same story every single night? <laughs> <laughs> and now I get it. I, my parents knew that I would have mountains to climb, like we all do, and um, it instilled in me a belief system um, that I can, and we can overcome the, the challenges. And In my case, uh, uh, severe to profound hearing loss. Uh, but, you know, my personal motto is I may have that hearing loss, but that hearing loss did not have me. Yeah. So that's great. You know, I was going to ask you more about uh, about those influences in your childhood that, that helped you. And it sounds like you just you've got wonderful parents and uh, good for your mom for, for sticking in there with that book, The Little Engine That Could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I love my mom. I you know, there's a wonderful quote by Strickland Gillian that really uh, says a lot about my mom. It says that you may have tangible wealth untold and caskets of jewels and coffins of gold, but richer than I, you can never be. I had a mother who read to me. And that perfectly describes my mom and what a hero she is and has been in my life. Yeah. So, Christy, thank you, too, for being on the program. We, in a bit, we're going to talk a little bit how, about how you guys met and, and fell in love and all that, if you don't mind sharing a little bit more about that information. But, um, 
Christy, do you want to tell us a little bit more about the Olive Osmond Hearing Fund? I assume that it's named, uh, Justin, is, is it named after your grandma? That's correct. Okay. Yep. Yeah, Christy, do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's something that Justin had started um, soon after his grandmother had passed away. She had started and was part of the founding on the Children's Miracle Network, which the original purpose of that was to actually help deaf kids. And having Burl and Tom, her oldest two sons, who were born with the hearing loss as well, um, that's kind of how the Osmond family got their start. And the original purpose and design of Children's Miracle Network was to help kids that had a hearing loss as well. And so when she had passed away, that was when Justin came up with the idea on wanting to to move forward with her legacy on continuing to help deaf children. And so that's kind of how the Olive Osmond Hearing Fund got started and, and how it got its purpose. So it's a really cool organization and, and coincidentally is how Justin and I met. So we can talk more about that. But Ooh, yeah. So, <laughs> so you know charity work does bring people together. Yes. Oh, what a great lesson. Um you know, I I believe I read and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh Justin, weren't your two uncles weren't they the first two deaf LDS missionaries? You know what, you're right. Um they uh they both and they were very lucky to be able to serve together as companions. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and I don't know if they were companions for the full two years. I'm sure they would probably need a break and uh, have a different companion. (laughs) But they they served up in Canada, and um, but yes, they they were actually one of the first original um, sign language missionaries for the church, and and they're, they're another two of my heroes. Yeah. So talking more about the uh, the Olive Osmond Hearing Fund, obviously it's having an impact on the lives of other of other children that are, you know, that are hearing impaired. What sort of an impact has this had on your life? Yeah, you know, I tell you what, um, you know, someone gave me a chance, uh, gave me an opportunity to be able to speak uh, the way I'm speaking today, to be able to hear with conviction the way I'm hearing today, uh, providing uh, with the advanced technology that, that we have today, which we're very blessed, uh, like you said earlier this morning, to have. And we have so many wonderful resources. And because someone gave me the chance, uh, despite my severe to profound hearing loss, uh, this is just my way of wanting to pay it forward. Uh, like my wife uh, talked about with the Olive Eisman Hearing Fund, whom we honored in honor of my sweet grandmother, Olive Eisman, which, by the way, I'm her favorite grand, favorite grandchild. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, and I think I say that because, in, in a very humble way, because we have a lot of I have a lot of cousins, but I'm the only one uh, out of the whole second generation Eismans, and trust me, there's a lot of us uh, that were born with this this hearing loss and. And because my grandmother had a very sweet spot in her heart, uh, especially for her two deaf sons, uh, who were never part of the musical group, um, you know, and then I came around, and, and we just had that immediate bond. Um, and so, and when I found out that she had such a passion and love uh, towards the deaf and the hard of hearing, that's that's why I, I wanted to carry her legacy uh, and her uh, her heritage and, and wanted to continue helping uh, provide good resources for the deaf and hard of hearing, and which we we love to do and, and be a part of that. 
but really, though, like to answer your question, how has this affected my life? Um, I have met so many other wonderful deaf people out there, and um, you know, sometimes it's not always a lack of hearing; it's a lack of hope. Hmm. And um, you know, my my wife has been probably the best blessing I've ever had, and she's helped me really believe that you know, as long as you put Heavenly Father first, and uh, and all of all of our situation, uh, we we can have that hope that leads and guides us uh, to overcome any challenges uh, that we all that we all face. That is so key. Just making sure. Yeah, you may have a hearing loss, but don't don't lose hope. Um, and Justin, I wanted to ask you a bit more about this 250 mile race that you that you ran to raise money for these 25 kids. What can you tell us about that? And where the where the idea came from, and and how it all went down? Yeah, that's, thank you. Well, I I just like every now and then I like to go for a little run, and, and honestly, I'm not a big runner. And uh, but one of those days, <laughs> I, I was just running, just Did, kind of uh, stay in shape. Christy was laughing at you there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> sorry. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, my, my, 250 miles and isn't a runner, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I said, my wife could probably say it much better than I can. Uh, but one morning I was just running, and I came back with this idea. I said, sweetheart, I got this idea. I want to run across the whole state of Utah and help some deaf kids. And, of course, just like what you heard, she laughed at me and said, no way, hon. Um, but, you know, I said, well, let's make a deal. Let me get on this uh, intense training schedule, and if I'm still alive and still haven't broken any joints or bones by then, uh, then would you let me do it? And she, she kind of hesitated and being very protective as she is, uh, she, she, uh, she gave in and, and played a very wonderful supporting role in all of that. Uh, but really, the, the whole reason why I did that was I found a need down in southern Utah. Uh, there were 25 deaf, deaf kids in the Washington County School District that were in badly need of some new hearing aids or some that have not had any hearing aids but needed hearing help. And so I just, just I thought, well, with my wife and, and so many wonderful people, um, thought we'd start this little hearing campaign and, um, and, and run across 250 miles, which, so you know, is probably to this day the hardest, Thing I have ever done. I bet. <laughs> and uh, physically, mentally, uh, spiritually, psychologically, uh, if you think about it, it was about 40 miles a day, oh. uh, back to back for seven days straight. And But the thing that really kept me going was I kept thinking about those kids. And, you know, when I was in pain, I, I lost one toenail and and my, so many blisters. I don't want to get too uh, visual <laughs> about it, but <laughs> but I love those kids, and you know I know the the challenges and the, the heartache that they're going through, just like I, what I went through, and and I just wanted them to have the best hearing aids that were available. Uh, and thanks to all of our wonderful sponsors that helped make that happen. But really, uh, I give Heavenly Father all the credit. I, I really felt there were so many times where He carried me up those mountains, and, um, and of course, my sweetheart, Christy, was right there by my side every single step of the way. Um, but yeah, one, one of the biggest challenges um, I've ever done, but yet one of the most rewarding at the same time. 
Justin, thank you so much for sharing that. Let's do this. Let's take a break. When we come back, let's continue the discussion. We'll we'll talk a little bit uh, about, if you don't mind, um, the adoption process that the two of you went through and... uh, and how that felt when you when you finally held those two beautiful babies in your arms. Um, thank you so much for being on the program. We're speaking with Justin and Christy Osmond, who run the Olive Osmond Hearing Fund, a charity which helps uh, to provide children with hearing aids. This is the Matt Townsend Show, where we help you be the good in the world, just like our two guests here today. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt while he's away sick today. But we wish him well and hope he comes back tomorrow. We'll see. For many years now, Justin Osmond has been inspiring and lifting others as he travels the U.S. to give motivational speeches on how to achieve your dreams despite any setbacks you may have. Justin has a 90% hearing loss, but that does not keep him from playing numerous musical instruments and living his life to the fullest. Justin and his wife, Christy, are also starting a podcast of their very own, and you can find out more details about that on Justin's website, justinosmond.com. And we're so grateful to have you back here on the program, Justin and Kristen. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Now, Kristen, I I think you should consider yourself lucky because you've got a husband who recognizes that he has... Uh, powerful, strong, and influential women surrounding him. You know, his grandmother, and I'm sorry, it's not Kristen, it's Christy. His grandmother and you, of course, very importantly. So he sounds like a very lucky guy. Is that a good assessment, Justin? Oh, you you said that, pulled that right out of my mouth. You couldn't have said that any better. Um, And and yes, behind every successful man is is an inspirational, amazing woman. And yes, um, I, I am successful in so many ways because of my wife and because of my grandmother and, and because of my mom. Uh, seriously, I give them all the credit uh, behind so many wonderful achievements uh, in, in my life. So absolutely. So uh, before we took a break, we were talking about um, the Olive Osmond Hearing Fund and all the good that, that the two of you are doing there. And... You know, obviously, being having a ninety percent hearing loss is an extreme tri- uh, trial, and you know there 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 are other people out there that you know have acquired some form of a hearing loss throughout their lives. I, I mentioned earlier that I have a, a hearing loss in my right ear, but uh, from an air horn that one of my cousins blew in my ear when I was eleven years old. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't experience that trial as, as much as you have, Justin, obviously. Um, but another trial that I was hoping that uh, we could talk about, it's a little, might be a little more of a sensitive topic, but, um, you know, you mentioned that uh, it was a struggle, a trial for you guys to, to not be able to have kids, and, but then you were able to adopt these two beautiful babies. Now, I, I know that... You probably remember what it felt like to to be able to hear well for the first time, but how did it feel after all of your best efforts 
going through this this trial that a lot of people do go through, um, how did it feel holding those two babies in your arms? Honestly, it, 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 it gets us both emotional, to be honest with you. I think it's something that there's a lot of people that struggle with, and we feel very blessed and very fortunate the fact that we were able to be blessed with being able to adopt these two little baby girls. Um, and there's there's nothing that can describe really what that feeling is, although I'm sure you're a parent as well, Jeff, right? Yes, yes, of okay. two girls as well. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, but being able to, to, to go into the into the room and being able to to hold the first one for the very first time was honestly the most spiritual experience Justin and I have both probably ever had. Just just the fact that we were able to be made parents and to know that that came through a very alternate path that neither of us would have anticipated, you know, 12 months or 18 months earlier was the coolest thing to see that Heavenly Father has has a plan and has a way for all of us, you know, and anyway, okay. <laughs> Christy, thank you so much for sharing that. I, we, we really appreciate that because I believe, you know, there are a lot of people out there and some of whom may be listening this very morning that um, could take hope from what you're saying, you know, and what, what would you say to those people or what advice could you give to those people that may be struggling with a trial similar to the one that, that you and Justin went through or who may have fears about adopting? <laughs> Justin, do you know anything about the fears of adopting? Justin, <laughs> Justin was a lot more more afraid of it than I think I was, although I was too. Justin, do you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah. Were you nervous about adopting, hon? Oh, I was more than nervous. I was probably, <laughs> more appropriate term would be I was scared to death. Um, and I never thought in a million years would, I would be, we would be in this type of a situation, you know. Um, and I think the thing that really hit me the, the hardest was I kept asking myself, can I love this child as my own? And that was the, that's what I was most afraid of. Um, but, you know, we, we continue to put our, our faith and our trust and our Heavenly Father through so many prayers and also on the behalf of so many others that have been praying for us. And I, I just needed to, that assurance um, from my Heavenly Father that this was... And that was a huge um, barrier that I had to get through and to overcome. And, but after going to the temple a couple of times and, and praying about that and talking to so many other wonderful families that have also adopted. And, and also, uh, just so you know, my youngest sister uh, was adopted. Uh, my oldest brother has adopted two beautiful little girls. And and so hearing the uh, wonderful success stories uh, from so many other uh, adoptive parents and with their adoptive children uh, gave us hope and, and faith. Um, but again, you know, the, for us, it's different because you know, this is something that we need to, to, to decide on our own. And um, But like you said, or my wife said, uh, when I held our first um, child in my arms, oh, my goodness, I, it was almost like the heavens were open and this whole shower of just blessings just came down upon us. And I knew right then and there uh, that this was the best decision we've ever made. 
and uh, I don't even I don't even look at it as an adoption anymore. She, I look at her as, as though she's my my blood and and flesh. And absolutely, and I got, and I can honestly say that I love her as though she is, was and is and forever will be my very own child. And uh, it's a, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Justin and Christy, thank you so much for sharing that experience with us. Uh, we've got about a minute left. Justin, I just wanted to ask you one final question. Uh, your motivation in life is, I have a hearing loss, but that hearing loss does not have me. How do you apply this inspiration in, in all aspects of your life? You know, Jeff, I, I, I share with the world the challenges and the blessings that come from coping with, with my own hearing loss. But I, I relate this to the many various hardships that others may be facing as well. You know, in my case, it's the hearing loss. Uh, but I know everybody is facing uh, some type of an upward battle, uh, whether it's physically, mentally, spiritually, whatever it may be. And so, you know, I, I say uh, whatever your challenges may be, you know, go ahead and accept them. Um, but don't let them have you. Don't let them control you. Uh, they don't define you. You define who you are, who you want to be. And uh, I, I have to say this, but I, I give so much credit to my sweetheart. She has really helped me be who I am today. And of course, my, my dear Heavenly Father. And so I think as, as long as we, we try to stay humble, try to stay grounded, and try to keep an, an open mind, keep your eyes open, Keep your eyes single to the glory of God. He will, he will bless you, uh, no matter the challenges uh, that we, we will continue to go through uh, through the rest of our lives. Justin and Christy, thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you for being a good example, uh, for being an inspiration, and for the good work that you do with the Olive Osmond Hearing Fund. Uh, if you want to find out more details about the podcast that Justin and Christy are going to be starting here pretty soon, you can find out more details about that on Justin's website, justinosmond.com. We were so blessed to have them here on the Matt Townsend Show this morning. And again, folks, just another guest that has illustrated to us this morning that we're all going to have trials and that uh, if we can have a positive outlook and if we have surround ourselves with people that can be a good influence on us, we can get through these together. And then in turn, we can be a good influence on other people who may be going through those very same trials or similar trials. And uh, again, we appreciate them here on the show and we wish them well. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we will be speaking with our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation. When we come back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for... Dr. Matt, and again, his loss is my gain because I get to speak with a couple of good guys over at BYU Sports Nation who do not smell, I'm sure. I'll explain in a, here in a second. Jeremy and Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here with us. My name is Jeff. Good to see you, Jeff. I mean, talk to you. <laughs> Was that an impression of me? No. Okay. It was a movie quote. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I mentioned that uh, the two of you do not smell. Is that a 
uh, an accurate we assessment? Hope, we hope that is the case. Okay. Oh, it smells. It's just how much. The reason I bring that up is because today is National Microwave Day. And mm. we've been microwaving things here on the program all morning. And uh, some of which have been good smells, some not so good. What do you think is the worst smelling thing you could put in the microwave? Fish. Fish. I think that's probably the general consensus. And that doesn't even have to be in the microwave. That could just be somebody opens up fish in a... In an enclosed space. Now, do you like to eat fish? No, I do not. No uh, seafood of any kind. Oh, wow. So there's a little bit of a bias in that answer then. <laughs> uh, you know, Terry mentioned mixed vegetables does not produce a good smell. Mixed vegetables. Huh. Yeah. Curry. Curry is not a great one. Oh. Stuff curry in the microwave. No good. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Clay Thompson in the microwave. 60 points 60 in three points quarters. last night. That's yeah. right. Wow. Tell us more about that. Talk more about that. He scored uh, 60 points. and they, Golden State Warriors. Yeah, with the Golden State Warriors. Clay Thompson. And there's been a little drama there because they brought Kevin Durant over, right? So it's like, what's the role of Clay Thompson? He scored 60 points. In so, three quarters. In three quarters. So that's, yeah. pretty, uh, that's pretty neat. So I, I, I heard a rumor, and maybe you're going to be talking more about this on your program. No, he didn't get into the Big 12. Oh. Oh. Well, I guess we can all go home then. Um, no, it has something to do with Portland State. What do you want to tell us about Portland State? Portland State was it's actually... In, it's in Portland. Yeah. And, and oh, it thank is, you. Uh, I thought it was Maine. They are the so. Vikings. That is their mascot. Uh, yesterday it was announced on this very show, as a matter of fact. Yes. BYU football will begin the 2017 season at home uh, late August against Portland State. Now, the reason... First of all, I mean, you're scheduling a team, so it's news. But uh, up until then, BYU's first game was actually a neutral site game in Houston against LSU. So this is, in a way, kind of a little, uh, I don't know, work Warm out up. the kinks game mm. before you take on uh, SEC power in LSU. So what are the benefits of this change? Are there any drawbacks from this as well? Hardly any drawbacks. I don't see any. Uh, yeah. well, uh, tune-up game, a warm-up game against uh, an FCS opponent. That is, you know, BYU's Division One. They are Division One AA, if you will, uh, or FCS. Uh, and BYU can get ready for the for the next game and uh, new team. Uh, you know, second year of the offense, but new for Tanner Mangum, who will have one start under his belt. Make it two now uh, before LSU with the bowl game and now Portland State. So it's great. BYU will start practice just a little earlier. Sweet. Uh, and they'll have 13 yeah, games, 13 on games as opposed to 12. Because oh. they play at Hawaii, the NCAA allows a team that plays at Hawaii to have an extra game for whatever reason. So 13 regular season games. What's better than 12? Ooh, 13. It's going to be good. You get more BYU football games to enjoy, and they get to start a little earlier. And uh, that's kind of before the first general week of college football. So BYU will be have a little bit of a national stage there because it'll be a game in college. We will all have been uh, thirsting for football and BYU will deliver. Yes. Gentlemen, about 10 seconds to tell me what else is coming on your program today. President Coach Steve Cleveland, men's basketball. He'll break down uh, the Cougars. What's going on with men's hoops right now? Plus, David Nixon on uh, why he loves the matchup with Wyoming. Coming up. <laughs> oh, Jeremy. And our way too early predictions for the 2017 BYU football schedule. How many oh, legs it. do we have, though? <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you so much. Go and cook something that's not smelly in the microwave today, will you? Bacon! Will we'll do. Okay. We'll get some halibut. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks. <laughs> oh, I love those guys. Wow. Okay. Well, before we get to the hero story, we, we do like to... Uh, to have one more 
maybe lighter story that might not be as important as the hero story. How much do you like mayonnaise? Or, mm. or mayonnaise, or however you pronounce Very it. Very little. Very little? Um, I use it. I'm not a huge fan, but I use it. It has not changed my life in any significant way. No. As this article I found says, our nation is divided into mayo haters and mayo appreciators. Yeah. Mm. Okay. They could have done better with that, I think. Was this the Mayo um, Clinic that came no, out? Okay. No, 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 It's the jiggly white condiment. Okay. Which is why I think a lot of people don't like it. Because mm. it's gross. Um, well, I mean, depends on how much you use. That's true. In some countries, apparently, they love it so much, they put it on everything. I don't, I've, I've seen I've seen ads to put mayo on the outside of a grilled cheese sandwich, and I don't understand that. So oh. In the Netherlands, they uh, use it on fries. Right, so they dip it in fries rather hey, than using ketchup. Utah has fry sauce, so that's there's not mayonnaise unusual. in the fry sauce. Yeah, in Japan they uh, put it on pizza. They oh, put it no. on mm-hmm. all kinds of pasta. No, no seaweed, fish, yeah. whatever well, they I'm want. I'm not going to eat that anyway. Seaweed, so. <laughs> seaweed by itself. I'm sorry, no. <laughs> they no. pancakes, all kinds of Domino's in Japan came out with a mayo top pie called the Mayo Q. Oh, so, yeah. Puerto Rico, they have kind of they call it. Uh, Mayo ketchup, but it's fry sauce. Yeah. Um, Russia, no one loves mayonnaise like Russia, though, and the neighboring com- countries. The average Russian consumes 5.5 pounds of mayo per year. Oh, my mm. gosh. And it's the store-bought stuff, not like a, yeah. you, you make something at home. It's you, you just buy this in the jug. I, well, I understand homemade is a lot better. They they love it because it dates back to the Soviet era where with food shortages, they were able to take mayonnaise, and it was a creative way to make foods feel more filling. Okay. Wow. You just mix it in and it gets thick. Well, I can oh. see it in potato salad, but you so know. So it's, it's kind of a psychological, emotional thing for yeah. them, too. And so they also have the same sort of attraction to sour cream. And uh, they, they had a picture in the article. They had like, like a chicken noodle soup with a big dollop of like sour cream or mayonnaise right in the middle of it. And you stir it all in and it thickens up the soup. And- now, I know about the sour cream because when I lived there for a couple of years, I one of my least favorite dish involved sour cream. Mm. I'm not a fan of sour cream either. Mm. So sour, sour cream I would do over mayonnaise. So, yeah, mayonnaise. Yum. Mm. Wow. Or not, depending on what Thanks for that. Saying. Jiggly, jiggly condiments. <laughs> Thank you, Terry. <laughs> well, as you know, we like to end the show with a hero story of the day, and this is a good one, too. Raul Munoz was with his wife at a shopping center in Chile, When he encountered a teenager, he saw the alleged shoplifter running towards him and took him down with a karate-style kick captured on CCTV. The 84-year-old retired engineer who lost his hand in in his 20s banged his head on the floor after tripping up the boy and was taken to the hospital for treatment. After the hero was knocked to the floor, a shop worker managed to detain the runaway suspect. Many have praised that Mr. Munoz's brave actions on, on social media, and the grandfather is now recovering from his fall. Police later arrived at the scene and arrested the suspect. Wow. Just another good example of it doesn't matter your age, your ethnicity, where you live. You can be a hero no matter where you go and where you are. So when you're in those situations where you are able to intervene and and do so safely and be a hero, go ahead and do it. Just like this 84-year-old man, Mr. Munoz. That's going to do it for the Matt Townsend Show today. Again, we were Dr. Mattless today. Hopefully he'll be back tomorrow. So send all your prayers, your positive thoughts, positive energy his way, and hopefully he'll be rejoining us tomorrow. I'm Jeff Simpson. 
covering for Dr. Matt today, was joined here today with Terry South, Sean O'Neill, and Sadie Nielsen, as well as Caitlin Thomas, and some really great guests who talked to us about how we can change our outlook on life and be more optimistic to help us get through the trials that we have in life. We would encourage you to do the same. Have a great one. Until tomorrow, this is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see and be the good in the world. We'll see you tomorrow.